Hey, it's Gary and Shannon. You're about to embark on yet another great adventure with the Gary and Shannon Show. A reminder, we want you to make sure that you look at the iHeart app and hit the follow button on the Gary and Shannon Show podcast so that you can get updates on what's going on with our podcast. Don't forget to share it as well. Get it? It's adventure music. Also, share it on Facebook, Twitter, wherever you have that opportunity, and tell a friend about what you're listening to when you listen to the Gary and Shannon Show. Gary Hoffman. Yeah. Shannon Barron. And I'm not going to brag about how much ass I kicked, but let's just say I kicked every single ass. Gary and Shannon. Star Wars music. This is Star Wars music. Oh. Done by a mariachi band. Got it. Yeah, we're going mariachi and Star Wars today. Yeah. Oh, okay. So the problem is, I think Blake kind of blew his water early because I don't know if uh, you're going to be able to find a whole lot of mariachi Star Wars music. That's why we're alternating. That's very smart. All right. Um, today, yes. guys, we've been given a treat. A treat from the Game Show Network. <laughs> so Gary, uh, we'll, we'll talk about this coming up a little bit later, but Gary was on a game show or taped a game show, what, over a year ago? It was May 20-somethings that I, of 2017 that I recorded it, yes. And so he told us a little bit about it, like the premise of it, where you're on with other people and it's like trivia, but you're fighting about who's right and who's wrong, and then you've got to divide the money up. Uh, I don't know if it was editing geniuses or 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 what happened, but you come across <laughs> as such not a nice person. And I told you that, didn't I? I told you when I left that place, I felt so bad. They, but the frames they use of your face, yeah, you just look like you detest everyone. Uh, they did a good job. I'll just say that. Anyway, it was uh, on well, this at three thirty this morning. Yeah, and we'll so. post clips from it throughout the day. Um, set your you could set your DVR because I think they're rebroadcasting it between now. We'll talk more on Monday as well because we're going to get the host of that show, Mike Richards, on to talk about the show uh, and some other stuff. Uh, we'll have the latest on what's going on with Hawaii, the volcanic eruptions, etc. We have a new segment that we're introducing today called "Animals in Trouble," and of course, Swamp Watch at twelve thirty when we talk about all of the stuff that's going on in DC. But one of the stories that has just absolutely infatuated us over the last couple of weeks now is the story of the Golden State Killer. John McGinnis spent over 27 years with the Sacramento Sheriff's Department, the very jurisdiction where we found out that this killer and rapist was living right under the noses of law enforcement that spent so many hours and days and weeks and months and years trying to bring this guy to justice. John McGinnis joins us now. I believe elected sheriff in 2006, right, uh, That's John? Correct, Shannon. That's correct, Sean. That's right. Well, thank you for Good joining morning. us. Appreciate it. Good morning. My pleasure. Good to be with you. Hey, uh, both Shannon and I spent all kinds of time in Sacramento. Uh, you were in the sheriff's department while we were both there working as reporters at the station that you're working at now at KFBK. Right. And I, I wanted to ask you, when, when you first came on the job uh, with Sacramento County, was this a case? Uh, it wasn't then called the Golden State Killer. It was, you know, no. East Area Rapist, et cetera. But was it a case that you were aware of? Oh, very much so. I, I grew up, went to high school in Sacramento, and uh, and it was in Southern California in school, com- coming back and forth during the time that uh, 
that the East Area Rapist first uh, made his mark in, in the greater Sacramento area, the eastern portion of Sacramento County initially. And I'll tell you that, that uh, he, he, it was not an overstatement to say it was a reign of terror, that he, he put a pall of fear to the point of paralysis over the, uh, the region. And then, of course, he spread out, went to the East Bay area, uh, different parts of the state, uh, before he ultimately uh, changed his, his MO and actually began killing people. He, he, it looks as though he's responsible for two murders in Sacramento County, then, of course, uh, maybe as many as 11 others that will be provable, uh, certainly 10 other at this point that appear to be the case. But the, the extent to which he paralyzed this, uh, this region in that time frame, frankly, is part of what uh, called me into law enforcement uh, and many people in my class that, uh, that got into the business at that time. So it was an enormous uh, impact on the community, and, and I've never seen anything quite like it uh, since that time, certainly, where you had people uh, lining up to buy firearms, to, to buy home security systems, deadbolt locks, everything they could possibly come up with. It was the talk of the town. Uh, people were fearful. They were, they were so incredibly fearful of this threat because it was appeared to be so ominous, and the uh, the extent to which he, he kind of breached all of the – the traditional barriers of safety. He started out picking on women living alone and then uh, actually graduated into apparently looking for uh, women who lived with men and would then go so far as to place plates, uh, cutlery, uh, dishes on the, the backs of men as he forced them to lie down in another room as he raped their spouse and told them, if I hear these plates move, I will kill you. One of the most uh, chilling things, John, and, 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 and you are right, it, it really is understated how paralyzed that community okay. was. It wasn't three yeah. or four rapes. It was, you know, in 1976, it was about 12, and then 77, it was like 18 or 19. It was like every week you were waking up to another report of, of your neighbor that was raped. And one of the more chilling things that I found was when he made that jump from women alone to couples, uh, there was a meeting because they there were often these community meetings in Sacramento at the time. What are we going to do? How do we take care of each other? What do we look out for? And, and talk that maybe he was at one of these meetings because it was it was right then when he switched from women to, to couples that somebody yes. stood up in the meeting and said, he's not going to do it when the husbands are home. Yes. And that uh, and that particular party would later experience his wrath. That's uh, right. That's right. It, it, it was his wife, I believe, incredible. that yes. went on to be attacked. Uh, yes. Um, yes. So what was your uh, reaction when you found out that this guy was one of you? I mean, as, as Paul yes. Hole said, he was never truly a cop, but he did work for Auburn PD. What was your reaction he to did. that? He actually started out with Exeter PD down in the Central Valley. There's some other um, information that's kind of interesting to go with that because there were attacks of a similar nature in the greater in the Central Valley around Exeter. Uh, and, and, you know, along the line, there was speculation to that extent because he seemed to have an incredible knowledge of how law enforcement operated. He seemed to be able to get ahead of the game. He also had uh, very impressive physical capabilities. So the thought was either law enforcement or perhaps military special forces or a combination thereof. So it was always in the back of our minds, uh, hoping very much that it wouldn't be, but prepared for that. Many officers in our department, frankly, voluntarily uh, submitted to a, a 
uh, a, not a full DNA swab, but a uh, the science that was available at the time that would eliminate them because of the the believed blood typing of the suspect. So they wanted to be eliminated from suspicion. Um, when I first heard this, that was the first question I I asked, and uh, the, the current sheriff uh, had the courtesy of briefing me on it, of course, with with uh, very very close confidentiality that it not be released. Uh, and the first question I asked was, tell me it's not a law enforcement officer. He says, unfortunately, it was uh, for a brief period of time. And, um, and yeah, that's, that's uh, probably a part of how he operated. In fact, he was fired from his job with Auburn Police Department because he had been arrested by the Sacramento Sheriff's Department uh, for petty theft in the community of Citrus Heights, a case in which he stole a hammer and dog repellent back in 1979. That's what cost him his career. Uh, since then, we know the DNA played a huge role in this arrest, yeah. probably the key to this. But uh, we've been reading articles about people worried about the privacy issues surrounding DNA evidence. Do you share those concerns that, that the idea of using DNA and the amount of information about people's DNA that's now available, that there's going to be an issue, a privacy issue? Yeah, maybe if I could just give you some perspective from my personal uh, standpoint on that, I, I do have very serious privacy concerns. I, I recognize the, the fundamental right we have to privacy in this country that's so unique. Uh, but in this particular case, as you look at how that uh, information, that, that DNA was accessed, it was with the uh, the volitional action on the part of the the person who participated in this program that 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 their dna would be subject to public disclosure so with that in mind now i actually the 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 basis upon which i have concerns about privacy is the extent to which people enjoy a reasonable expectation of that privacy so when you put your your DNA or any other material into the public domain to include uh, expressions, communications through electronic communications, uh, then I think that that's fair game. Uh, otherwise, when you keep it private, uh, then you have a right to uh, to that expectation of privacy and it ought not ever be compromised. In this case, I think I'm very, very comfortable with where this has gone. And just kind of put things in context, I uh, actually attended a CSI school way back when, decades ago, at Stout Cal State Long Beach, and they told us at that time, someday, if you collect a biological fluid, such as a blood drop at a crime scene, if that drop is the size of a dime, we will be able to identify the donor of that uh, biological fluid. And of course, that was extraordinarily uh, impressive to even contemplate that that could be a possibility. Now it has advanced so far that it's far less uh, of the of the product than that that can lead to an identification. So this this it was kind of known that it was in the works, but to really truly see it come to fruition to this magnitude is incredible. And to to solve something like this, I think is uh, is just incredibly good news. To to actually you hear the term closure. Closure will never be had, but to at least bring justice to this equation, I think is uh, is huge. John McGinnis is the uh, former county sheriff for Sacramento County and currently a host on uh, one of our sister stations up there in Sacramento. I wanted to ask you how much attention the your your office, the, the Sacramento County Sheriff's Office, paid to this case when it was still an unsolved mystery, a cold case uh, when you were sheriff. And did recent years, whether it be Michelle McNamara's book or uh, or the uh, the the new reward that came out from the FBI a couple of years ago, did that put new pressure on on you and, and on the department or was there always a degree of intense yeah. 
focus on this, on bringing this guy to justice? There was always, a, I would say, a rather intense degree of, uh, of desire. In fact, I'll tell you, years after all this started, I worked, I was assigned to homicide for a period of time. And I, so I went back and pulled all of the old uh, reports and read through them. And then, of course, moving on in my career, uh, I actually took uh, my abridged notes with me and I would refer, continually refer to uh, the, these old files just to see what are we doing? What could, what could possibly be done on this? We always kept uh, some resources in play on it. And over the years, in fact, I just had occasion to tally it up. In the last eight years, uh, I have personally gotten 21 different names given me by different people, some retired law enforcement, some members of the community who were actually disclosing the identity of their own relatives, who they they said, in retrospect, looking at uh, how this person behaved, where they were, their physical profile and so forth, they believed this person was responsible. Wow. Each of those 21 were vetted and eliminated through DNA. So, and the most recent of which, uh, in my case, was last summer. So, and that was a retired uh, detective, in fact, an academy classmate of mine. He said, I don't know why I never thought of this person, but somebody I know in my personal capacity that I think looks very, very good for it. He's got, uh, interestingly enough, he had a lot of the, the personal attributes that we're now hearing about D'Angelo, that uh, he's prone to anger management, uh, very, very hostile sort of a guy. Uh, but again, that was eliminated. So the uh, tech when we made transition when I retired and uh, Sheriff Scott Jones succeeded me, uh, that was among the about a half dozen very critical files that I, I shared with him and said, this, you know, this, please continue to look at this. And he's actually taken it to another level. He, in conjunction with the district attorney, uh, actually uh, applied greater funding, greater resources to it, and assigned uh, a team of detectives to continue to work on this as their primary mission, not taking new cases, which could have been a subject of criticism. Uh, but that criticism, of course, has now been abated by the, uh, the arrest. So. This this incredible. It's just an incredible story. It is. This, this uh, suspect had a wife and kids. And yeah. I want to know, as a homicide detective, even though all of this appears to be closed, I mean, in terms of there, there have been no new attacks, what sort of investigative value are the wife and kids in this case? Oh, I think they're very, very important uh, in terms of what they can share about him, especially in her case, not so much the kids, uh, about his uh, his behavior and interaction and travel back then. And I am not personally satisfied at this point that he really, truly uh, abandoned his nefarious reign of terror. Because while things may have changed, and of course, uh, of all the horrific, terrible things you can uh, ascribe to uh, Mr. D'Angelo, I don't think he uh, suffers from a lack of intellect. I think he's a bright guy. Well, one of the things that was nuts was uh, that we made the connection to uh, knowing now about the children that he had with his wife was... He seemed to stop murdering in 1981, and that that correlates to the birth of one of his daughters. And then he picks up again in 1986, the same year that his next daughter is born. Right. Right. Uh, Very true. That's odd. 
It is, and who knows? Who knows what uh, may influence a guy like this? But I also recognize the fact that he may be savvy enough to avoid engaging in activity that he was very careful to never leave latent prints, for example. As time went on, he very likely stayed on top of developments with regard to DNA and was very careful to not leave DNA. Uh, so the potential that he was still involved in horrific criminal activity is something that, uh, that I have a hard time shaking, frankly. And there's a very, very competent team of investigators uh, that continue to work on this. Uh, they, they, they're just so incredibly good at what they do. And uh, I think they tend to share that, and I would not be surprised to see additional information come forward uh, because it's just hard for me to, to fathom. If you think about the average crook, they will use their criminal behavior as a means to an end. In other words, they'll force entry into your home to take your property because they want your stuff. They don't necessarily want to be a criminal, but they lack the discipline or talent or whatever it may be required to, to cause them to get their own property, amass their own wealth, if you will. In this case, the crime itself is the end. This is what this guy wanted to do. He wanted to torture and terrorize people, especially women. And uh, I think that, that the likelihood that he just abandoned that uh, is very, very, very remote. You mean in so 1986? I, yeah, well, I we, just have a hard time believing it didn't go in a different direction. We uh, uh, thought maybe that was because of all the uh, progress they were making with DNA technology, right. starting in Orange County, and that's where he last killed, and that's where right. the the first advances really in California were being made. So we thought maybe he he was smart enough to say, I got to stop. because yeah, he got scared. Yeah, or, or simply, uh, you know, commit himself to doing whatever it was he may have can done, without uh, with being very mindful and careful about uh, the leaving of uh, DNA evidence behind. Um, so that, I, I just I see. it's very very difficult for me to to accept the notion that he uh, he simply decided to be a better human being. I, I just don't believe that. Or even if he was to lose his uh, physiological urges or stamina or whatever, his his was. Uh, crimes committed out of hatred, loathing, and passion. And I don't think that, in fact, as kind of anecdotal evidence, uh, we have heard many stories about him just being overtly confrontational toward people for no real reason. Uh, You know, cursing a blue streak in the neighborhood as people walked by and having some encounters with people in parking lots and so forth, where he just went right uh, to extreme anger over seemingly insignificant events. So it's very, very difficult for me to fathom a situation Situation in which he would abandon uh, such behavior. But it, it, it remains uh, obviously uh, unanswered at this point. In your conversations with people who are currently working the case, have they been telling you at all any of the physical evidence that they've found in the guy's house? No, but I, I have a pretty good idea what they're looking for. And, uh, you know, there's heirlooms, uh, me- uh, memorabilia that was taken from uh, the victim's homes. And uh, if I, I just have a suspicion there, it's nothing more than a suspicion. But I think given the, 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 the knowledge of his orientation, his, how he behaved himself, uh, conducted himself, I see him as a guy who maybe would have kept some of that uh, memorabilia, maybe stashed someplace, maybe buried in the backyard, maybe who knows where he may have secreted it. Uh, but if that comes forward, not that there's not an abundance of evidence already, uh, I think that just uh, takes it to new levels. And uh, I, I have a 
feeling that uh, there's a high degree of probability that some of that property may be found. What are your thoughts about why he moved down here uh, after he he reign of terror in Sacramento, then the East Bay, then he moved down to uh, Santa Barbara, Goleta area, yeah. Orange County. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I honestly, it's a mystery to me. I don't know if he had uh, some kind of uh, business enterprise or something else that took him to that area. There's information I had come across. It looked as though he actually had a, a place that where he lived, notwithstanding the fact that he still owned his home in Citrus Heights in Northern California. Uh, looks as though he crashed in the Whittier area for a while. Uh, but w- exactly why, I don't know. Maybe maybe this uh, the drive was all about his his uh, crime spree. He didn't want to be connected with the East Area Rapist crimes at that point. Um, I, I simply don't know. And again, those are the things that uh, there's just out of curiosity. I'd, I'd truly love to have answered. He. Uh, I'm also very curious as to what his interaction was like with others when he was with the Auburn Police Department. Was he a person who seemed to fit in and do the job well and interact with the community and his and his colleagues, or was he uh, that guy that nobody could tolerate? And uh, we're happy to see him give them cause to cut him loose. Those are questions that uh, that I still don't have answers. Some to. of the guys from the Exeter Police Department spoke to uh, I forget what media outlet it was, but they said that. You know, it was a very close department and, uh, you know, the guys were like brothers and he was didn't always join in on the fun that he was a very serious guy, yeah. um, kind of uh, just an outcast in that regard. Yeah, that that does not surprise. I had not heard that, frankly, but it doesn't surprise me. I can see him uh, behaving in that way. Again, law enforcement is uh, it, it it is it typically because you even in quiet suburban communities, you oftentimes find yourself. Uh, in a position where you really have to rely upon others for your very life, and uh, so the the closeness that uh, that grows out of that is undeniable. And to have somebody who's capable of uh, in their off duty hours torturing and terrorizing people to these extremes, uh, then coming into putting a uniform on and being part of a uh, a group that seeks to do good and protect people and stick together as a force multiplier, it doesn't seem likely to me. Well, as a, a California law enforcement guy, does this give you hope that we will eventually solve the Zodiac case? It, it actually kind of does. If uh, I think the, the, the value of DNA uh, and the, the access to DNA uh, evidence has, has grown exponentially over time, and I think it really could uh, bring that to to a, success, a, a, a just conclusion, uh, and there's even speculation now. There's uh, some investigators in the, the uh, Bay Area that uh, that have a belief as to who they, they sincerely um, are confident is responsible for the Zodiac crimes. Who is de- who is deceased? Uh, but even with that being the case, if there's good DNA evidence, that could uh, that could ultimately ultimately make that conclusion. And very candidly, if I haven't said so already, I I thought that would be the case with the Golden State Killer. I, I figured by this time he was probably deceased. Uh, but then even with that, you, you can get an element of justice at least knowing who it was. Right. When you found out that this guy was living in your backyard in Citrus Heights and had been there all along. What was your reaction? Who was your call and what was your personal reaction to finding out that this guy was caught? I, the call was from uh, Sheriff Scott Jones, the current uh, sheriff, the incumbent, who's a, who's a brilliant guy and a great human being, by the way. And uh, I, I appreciate very much the courtesy that he extended by calling on it. I was, I was stunned, absolutely stunned. Uh, in fact, in our conversations that we've had over the years between Sheriff Jones and I, I, um, I always told him, uh, I think the guy's dead. And he was 
pretty confident that he wasn't for reasons he can't even explain. He just felt as though he was alive and he was absolutely certain that justice would come. So the very first question Please tell me he's not law enforcement. He says, well, not exactly what he was. There's a history uh, to include the information about the, the circumstances under which he lost his job. But then to think that he was he lived throughout this time, this entire time, in a neighborhood that I had occasion to uh, to patrol as a uniformed officer, uh, that, is, uh, that is shocking. And uh, it, you just never know what's going on behind closed doors and in a community where it seems uh, to take on a completely different uh, tone. The, uh, the general area around where he lived is a nice neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, people knew him. They didn't know him under um, terms that uh, would be considered flattering. But uh, but they knew him and had generally negative opinions of him. But just the notion that he could be right here all this time, and you think um, over the years, what to what extent did he suffer uh, a fear of being caught? You'd have to believe that was uh, a part of his mental process over the years. But but I'm not so sure. And of course, by this time now, 42 years since his his first uh, attacks. Uh, I have to believe that he thought uh, he was going to get away with it. Yeah. In fact, the first thing he said, if you hadn't heard, when the uh, deputies approached him in his front yard was, uh, he says, I have a roast in the oven. Yeah. And they said, don't worry about that. I, I absolutely guarantee you that he has not contemplated that roast in the days since yes. because he knows at this point, he's got to know uh, that he is going to die in custody. Did you and the current sheriff have a wager on whether or not he was alive? Never did. Oh, uh, I want to I'm say. glad we didn't. Yeah, I was going to say. Lost, <laughs> and I have to pay it, you know. <laughs> Sheriff John McGinnis, thank you so much for joining us. It was My real, pleasure. Great real to pleasure. chat with both of you. We'll have to do it again sometime. Thank Sounds you good. very much. All, All right, right, John I'll... McGinnis there. Uh, current um, talk show host, actually, at KFBK up in Sacramento, former sheriff. When we come back, we're going to talk about uh, the eruptions, the volcanic eruptions going on in Hawaii right now. It might uh, be time to leave. Also, it looks like a time and date has been set for the president and Kim Jong-un to meet. Oh, good. We'll Excellent. get into all of that. But, but what makes today better than 1000 bucks? Here's your chance to win. Your shot at $1,000 now. Text the keyword LUCK to 200-200. You'll get a text confirming entry plus iHeartRadio info. Standard data and messaging rates apply. That's LUCK to 200-200. Got to answer that phone even if it's from a number you don't recognize. Your next chance to win is one hour from now. Gary and Shannon will continue. This is when the stormtroopers are walking. Stop, because I know that that what you just said was the was the way you would describe every song that even vaguely resembles Star Wars. Blake, well, um, no, I'm going to keep that to myself. I'm going to try something later in the show. Okay. All right, a curtain of fire. A curtain of fire. That's how people in Hawaii are describing the Kilauea volcano erupting. Spewing molten lava that chewed through forests and bubbled up on paved streets. There was a week of earthquakes and warnings that an eruption could be imminent. And that's exactly what happened as steam and lava poured out of a crack in the community of Leilani Estates on the Big Island. 
Video shows lava spurting into the sky from a crack in the road, a line of lava snaking through a forest. There were reports today of eruptions from volcanic vents on two streets. It's a... This is terrifying. This is terrifying, right? The idea that you would be pushed out of your house by a volcanic eruption is terrifying. Hawaii knows that's coming. And you live in, uh, what did you say, Leilani Estates in Pune? You know that's a, always a possibility and has been for how many thousands of years? Well, yeah, Kailua's uh, erupted periodically for decades. And scientists now say they have no way of predicting how long this eruption will continue. But, yeah, about 100 people were in shelters as of today. Um, many more ev- evacuees thought to be with friends and relatives. And the uh, Hawaii governor has activated the National Guard to help with evacuations and provide security to about uh, nearly 800 structures that are empty now because people had to get out. I've also heard people describe the sounds of what volcanic eruptions sound like. I, when we when we were working in Seattle and we saw the uh, every year the yes. um, anniversary of Mount St. Helens, People describing that from, you know, dozens of miles away, the sound was just enormous. There's one guy who says it sounds as if you put a bunch of rocks into a dryer and then turn it on as high as you can. And it's a constant rumbling sound that's coming out of the the volcano. Um, there's There's one way to look at this. And I think that we get this a lot because we live in California. You know, it's a beautiful state, beautiful weather. We get 70 degrees every day, basically. Um, we have to run the risk of earthquakes, just the way we do it, right? In Hawaii, they also have; they're also going to get these earthquakes. They're also much more prone to tropical weather systems, et cetera. And every once in a while, a volcano. But look, every other day, they literally live in paradise, literally. So, in terms of them paying a small price, being out of their homes for a while, and possibly losing a couple every once in a while because of volcanoes, I would take that price. So when I lived up in Seattle for, what, 2004, 2005, I remember moving up there and then being assigned to go to the UW because there were there was an earthquake swarm there. Yeah. And, you know, what's going to happen? And all the scientists are super excited. And I'm going, what the hell did I get into here? And then that was 2004. <laughs> and then a year later, there was more major activity when uh, a bunch of steam and ash, you could see it emerging from Mount St. Helens. You could see it from Seattle and ash was falling in Yakima. It was crazy. And you're thinking, what the hell? And I remember all the scientists being super excited and everyone else kind of freaking out because, of of course, you remember the uh, the eruption that killed everybody. Right. Uh, a week of these earthquakes and warnings, I would imagine, have taken their toll emotionally on the people who live in Hawaii. Even though, like I said, they literally live in paradise. Steam and lava have been pouring out of that crack in the Leilani Estates, etc., Um, The governor of Hawaii has activated the National Guard to help with evacuations and provide security to to about 700 and, uh, like you said, the 800 structures. The question about the the fatigue, though, in terms of all these warnings, et cetera, that go out. Remember, they've they've had their deal with, uh, you know, fake missile warnings that have come out in Hawaii. Henry lives in Leilani Estates. He said the first thing that something might be wrong happened when cracks emerged in the driveway of his home. Then his wife gets a call from an official that told them, get the hell out of there immediately. 
Unfortunately, they're fearing now they may lose their home. He I, says this is our retirement dream. That's just terrible. I wonder what um, I wonder what the the insurance policy is on volcanoes. If you live in Leilani Estates, yeah. If you live in the little town of Puna, how hard is it for you to get an earthquake policy slash volcano policy on your home? Because you know it's going to happen. Most of the activity uh, around Kilauea has been non-explosive, they say, but there was a 1924 eruption that spewed ash and 10-ton rocks into the sky. Only one person died. And you think about that. We're talking 100 years, one person has died because of this volcano. The vast majority of it is fireworks. I mean, it's lava that shoots into the air. It's an amazing display of the power of the earth. But other than that, and it's and it, I mean, I won't say it doesn't destroy neighborhoods because it does. And it, you know, eats up portions of the land and also creates new land. That's how volcanoes work, kids. All right. Coming up next. You know, I uh, I, I didn't realize how hard it was to work with you until I saw this <laughs> video and I realized, wow, it must be really hard to work with that guy every day. Really? Well, it's not. That's the oh, thing. Oh, you mean if You're, you had to work with that guy? That guy. <laughs> that guy is not very nice. It's the joys of editing, man. This game show that Gary was on really edited him into not a nice man. It even left my wife uh, uh, questioning the marriage today. Yeah, saying suddenly what? she's like, "Wait a minute, here Who is, that is it? Guy? Is that the real Gary?" Gary and Shannon. I feel bad because we, we can play audio from it, but you don't get to see your faces. The faces <laughs> that you make are just so great. <laughs> Gary and Shannon will continue just a minute. Gary and Shannon on this uh, Friday, May 4th, about a year ago, Almost, almost exact. Well, I guess May, late May last year, I recorded a game show. I was a contestant on a game show, and it's called Divided. It's on the Game Show Network, hosted by a guy named Mike Richards, who we're trying to get on for uh, Monday. And as of right now, we have a schedule for Monday. We'll see how he does. Um, but finally, the episode aired last night. Uh, Make that money, honey, was the name of the episode. And I'm still not sure why, because I don't remember. Maybe the, it's ironic, I suppose. Um, but the contract, the deal that I signed when I when I went on was that I couldn't talk about the results of the show at all until after the show aired. Well, the show aired about seven hours ago. It was in the middle of the night. Uh, I got up this morning, and my wife and I watched the first couple of minutes of it, and. Two, two observations. Number one, my hair is not that thin. And second, I am not a D. At least not the way I look on that show. I didn't notice an issue with your hair. Uh, well, maybe. It looks the same as every day. May, I know. Well, then in that case, I apologize to all of you. There are because much brighter lights on the set than they are here. There are. And there's very little makeup on any of us. At least on the guys. I, they didn't put any makeup on us. Um they your, did on the host, but you you can tell. Well, your Dennis is more a frustratedness, something like that. That's why I think you when you take your glasses off and do that little <laughs> and rub the bridge, bridge of, of my nose, nose pinch thing, <laughs> like I think well, that was pretty. I clear. did it in this segment. I'm going to play a, a piece from this whole uh, that piece right there. Actually, you can't see the video, but you'll understand my frustration with this. 
It's a trivia contest, basically, with four people, and you have to answer questions together as a group. You have to agree on what the answer is going to be. And then you bank money or you lose money depending on whether you answer correctly or incorrectly. At one point, you actually kick somebody off the show, and they walk away with nothing. And then the three who are left have to answer the remaining questions, and then at the end, you decide who gets 60% of the bucket, 30% of the bucket, and 10% of the bucket. And the more you argue, the bank goes down. So this is just one example of one of the questions that I was in. This is Mike Richards. He is, uh, again, the host of the show Divided on Game Show Network. The names of which two countries are represented by the militant group acronym ISIS? A, Iraq, B, Iran, C, Syria. The clock starts now. Okay, so you have to answer. That's an easy question, right? That's a simple, easy trivia, current events question. It's not based on a poll. It's not based on anything. And how many times have we used the term ISIS here and talked about it and what it means? All right. So we answer we answer correctly. Uh, I think they say. I think it's Syria. Okay. Uh, He goes around and we lock in the answer and he goes around and asks us basically how we knew what we knew. All right, so Laura Lee, it felt like you were kind of leading the charge there. You mentioned your dog is from Iran. He he is, and because of that, I've connected with the lady that had rescued him and shipped him to me, and I've learned so much about what's going on in Iran and, you know, their political climate as well. So, but yeah, my puppy came from Iran. My puppy came from Iran. Now, as she's saying that... Iran, Iran. Iran. The video is of me. There's a close-up ISO on me taking my glasses off and rubbing my nose, rubbing the bridge of my nose out of frustration. Like, who is allowing this woman to speak? Question. Yes. Do they know what your jobs are? Yeah, they. we tell them right away. It's part of the introduction. So they know part of your job is to discuss these things every day. Yeah. Yeah. Now, the the I guess the little... People don't really know what that is, though. And they didn't Radio disagree host. with you. They, like, everyone... Well, everyone agreed. I mean, it was quick. It was a quick agreement. But there's one thing that you can do in this show where you can just ignore everybody's arguing and answer your answers. Like, you don't get to argue with me. I'm locking in my answers, and my answers count for everybody. It's a huge gamble because it's win or lose. And if you watch the episode, I did that one time. And totally lost. And I was playing along with it. I was watching the video clip. And? Oh, and I knew you were totally wrong. But see... I knew it 100%, and I was looking, I was like, nope, nope, nope. I, I nope, did it incorrectly. Correct. That's the thing. The question was, what do most Americans consider cheating? And you had to put it in order. And you in were fact, wrong. I, I want to see if we've got the sound of the, the question here. And again, this is the question that destroyed me. From a Glamour magazine survey, rank these things based on the percentage of people who consider it cheating from highest to lowest. A, sharing a bed with the opposite sex. B, getting a strip club lap dance. C, exchanging steamy Facebook messages. The clock starts now. All right. Huge bank, final question, right? $25,000 was on the line for this. I put them completely in the wrong order. Do you know why you did? Oh, I absolutely know why I did. Because I was answering the way... I would think of it. Not the people who read Glamour magazine. Exactly. And that's the difference. Because so if, if just you... so we're clear, 
that the the options are getting a lap dance at a strip club, right? Getting emotional steamy messages on Facebook. No, no, it didn't say emotional. Okay, it just steamy said steamy mes- messages. Okay, steamy messages on right. Facebook, or um, sharing a bed with somebody of the opposite sex, right? Just like sharing a bed, work trip gone bad, something. Okay. So I said the strip club lap dance was the top of the list because there's actual physical contact involved. But I was answering for myself. And like Blake pointed out, I wasn't answering the question, which was according to the poll in Glamour magazine, which is most often read by women. Women only care about emotions. Women only care about the Facebook message. Only care about it, but I but I could see why that would be the top of the list. You might be in trouble if you come home with uh, stripper glitter on your, you know, pants. But the wife would care most about you having an emotional relationship with somebody using your words on Facebook. Well, we argued about this because I put them in one order. They you put were them adamant. in another you order. Were adamant. I was totally adamant. But there's physical contact. Yeah, exactly. I kept saying yeah. that. Uh, and finally, uh, I said, screw it. And I hit the button that locks in my answer because we were losing so much money. Uh, my favorite part, Facebook. though. Facebook. Facebook is not- That's them revealing that I got the answer wrong. But don't go anywhere, folks. Come on, dude. To be fair, the way he thinks wasn't right, but the way you guys think wasn't right either. Because you guys didn't have it either. Yeah, they got it wrong too. So regardless of what had happened. That's your defense? What do you mean that's my defense? I won. That's all I got to say. Yeah, you I did. Won. You look like such a... And I felt... At the end of the show when they're trying to decide who who gets uh, what money, you know, the most, the middle, the least, Gary's like, I get the most and here's why. You, you Paul, you get the least. You know you get the least. Steven, it was basically whatever. you did yeah. nothing, you did nothing, right. I did everything, I'm please hand me yeah. my money. Yeah. It was... That's what the point of the game is. I know, but you know what... You're knocking that guy. I, I felt so bad, and at the end of it, they literally escort you out of the building and walk you to your car so that you don't have contact with any other contestants. That's Wasn't that guy from, like, Hawaii or something? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So he came all the way from Hawaii. Yeah. He lost money My favorite, on this whole trip. Oh, yeah. My favorite part was when <laughs> that guy says to you, have you ever gotten a lap dance at a strip club? And you're like, no. And he's like, it's not that intimate. Yeah. <laughs> and then everyone watching put that guy in a strip club with glitter on his pants. Uh, the 19-point contract also showed up in the show. I think it's like the second question. We talked about social media and stuff. So anyway, it's on Game Show Network. It's called Divided. Uh, they'll have it on demand soon if you don't already have it, if you didn't record it. So it's fun. We'll talk more about it on Monday as well because... Maybe I'll get my check by then. And we have clips up on the website as well if you want to check them out. KFIAM640.com. Use the keyword Gary and Shannon. Coming up next to Los Angeles lawmaker, now California representative Tony Cardenas, is in some trouble connected to the Me Too movement. We'll give you all the details when we come back to Gary and Shannon. When the stormtroopers are walking. I knew it. I knew you would not get it. What are you talking about? Try again. This is when they are in the ride at Disneyland. Oh, I see, I knew my experiment air, was going to work. In the aircraft. Successful. And they're straight into the starry sky. Successful. Skies. Successful. This is when they're in the desert. Blake, let's let her in on the trick. And Yoda's there. Yes. 
This, is that right? You are absolutely right. Oh my gosh. This is in fact composed by John Williams. Yes. The same exactly. as the there is music. flying involved. Yes, there is yeah. flying involved. This is the theme from Superman. Yeah. Sorry, kid. What the hell are we doing here? This is Star Wars Day. This isn't Superman Day. This isn't May the Superman Be With You Day. This is May 4th. Hold on a second. You're angry? You should be embarrassed. I am not embarrassed. You should be embarrassed. You should be embarrassed <laughs> that you thought that this was part of the Star Wars It's the same world. composer. Yes. Furthermore. And therefore. It's ridiculous that we're playing Superman music today. But you didn't even know. Wow, way to turn this around. Yeah, Thank I you. feel bad now. I am Kellyanne Conway. <laughs> How did you do that? Um, uh, we mentioned this a little bit earlier. The president, uh, on his way to Texas, was on the White House lawn this morning before he uh, flew to, uh, I think he's giving a speech at the NRA leadership uh, convention slash meeting. When he was at the White House, he said that, Rudy Giuliani is going to issue a statement to clarify his comments regarding the payments to Michael Cohen and Michael Cohen's payments to Stormy Daniels, because apparently there was some discrepancy between the two of them, between Giuliani and Trump, even though it appeared yesterday like they were the only two who knew what was going on. So the way Giuliani is now saying it is references uh, were not my understanding of Trump's knowledge, but instead my own. I do not understand what the hell that means. I think at 1230 we're going to get into this a little bit more because, again, the timing of all of this, the, the, the whether he paid or repaid, or all of this is falling by the wayside. The guy was elected by people who don't care about this stuff. That's what we have to keep in mind. Tony Cardenas, Democrat from San Fernando Valley has confirmed that he is the unidentified elected official in a lawsuit that was filed last week in L.A. It alleges the molestation of a teenage girl in 2007. Now, he vehemently denies the allegations through his attorney in a statement. Uh, She says, my client is sickened and distraught by these horrific allegations, which are 100 percent categorically untrue. Goes on to say, we respect victims who have found the strength to come forward and call out misconduct when it has actually occurred. But the type of baseless and reckless allegations that are contained in the complaint against my client can ruin the lives and careers of innocent people. This is just this is a lawsuit at this point. Does it surprise you that this is not a criminal investigation? No, because because the LAPD says there's no criminal investigation because you need to have some sort of evidence. And I don't know if they have gone to the police department with said evidence. Um, This the encounter, the way it's described in this lawsuit. And again, it's the lawsuit itself does not name Tony Cardenas. It's a John Doe in the lawsuit. But that everybody else basically is pointed to Tony Cardenas. There are reports in the Washington Post and the L.A. Times that he has been calling uh, his colleagues in Congress to say this has this is not me. I totally deny all of this. stuff. The L.A. Times has not been able to corroborate the allegations. Uh, No public evidence has emerged to support them. But but I want to go through the encounter because it, it. Part of the encounter is what led people to believe that this was Cardenas. Yeah, it says um, it it occurred more than a decade ago in 2007 when Cardenas, uh, an avid golfer, an advocate for the youth golf for a youth golf program, was a city councilman here in L.A. And the suit says that this elected official, that's the way they put it in the lawsuit, this elected official 
gave the girl, who was a teenager at the time, water with a peculiar taste while they were golfing. They're at a golf course in L.A. and then molested her later in a car. Again, the golf part of it is one of the clues that led people to believe that this was Tony Cardenas. Um, it's descriptions of the offender, his age, his political experience, the fact that there was a golf event. Reporters, others immediately suspected that Cardenas was the guy because of his um, high-profile love of golf, among other things. So all of this is uh, is out there, right? And you've got these allegations against him. I'm not saying that there has to be a criminal investigation, but it's strange to me that there isn't also a criminal investigation. And like you said, there's no evidence. Why would at there this be? Point. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, I don't. I don't think there would be a criminal investigation. Um, if the, if the story is that and only that, I mean, because it, it, that doesn't provide, uh, evidence, this, the story that, uh, uh, water with a peculiar taste, what are they trying to say that he gave her alcohol or something to make her more pliable or a roofie or something like that? Yeah. Um, this is where the, the, to add intrigue to all of this, there is a belief that this may be from a former employee's family. Uh, Richard Alarcone, the former city councilman, said in an interview at the Times that he had a meeting with one of Cardenas's former employees, who Alarcone now believes is the accuser's father. And during that meeting, this, this, this guy, this former employee for Tony Cardenas, said he had negative information on Cardenas, but would only provide it to the media in exchange for a job on Alarcone's campaign. Gross. The man also claimed that he had been cooperating with the U.S. Attorney's Office in a probe involving Cardenas and had entered into a plea agreement. Wait, okay, so the father of the uh, girl in this story believed to be was yes. trying to get a job with Alarcon. Yes. Use use the information about how his daughter was molested to get a job in a political office. Well, at that point, he hadn't said anything about what the allegation was he had against Tony Cardenas. Still, he knew what it was. Yes, he did. Yeah, the guy did. Could you imagine that? Um. The Alarcon said that after this meeting ended with this former Cardenas um, disgruntled employee, he received a text message from the man and said, hey, Tony, you'll never believe who called me and I just met with. And he assumed that the text was sent to him in error. And his instant reaction was, this guy is trying to play both of us. So imagine that. He thinks that he's got the dirt and through some fumbled text messages sends his uh, message to the wrong guy. One of the two people that he's trying to play against each other. It's just so dirty, isn't it? Such a dirty, dirty world of politics. All right. Coming up next, it looks like the city of L.A. is going after the opioid crisis, going after drug makers and distributors. We'll tell you all about it. And, well, this is exciting. What's that? Got a chance to win a thousand dollars coming That's up. Nice, I love it. You don't have to be a D to get it. What do you mean? I'm just saying. Oh, I like you were on the show. I feel like I want to call Stephen. I feel Cook. like we should call them, like the people you were on the show with, and just let them know that that's not you. I, that would make me feel better. And then also, we Is should be using his 120 we, on a stripper in Hawaii. Also, we should take the money that you won and donate it. <laughs> so, so RJ comes into the office and he's like, "Hey, um, was that? Are you going to donate the money?" I was like, "What? 
why can't I just win it for me every and then, once in a and while? And then that made him into yeah. an even bigger deal. And then maybe that is exactly who he is. Right. That is you. Pull back the curtain. Gary and Shannon. KFI AM 640. Gary and Shannon. On this Friday, May 4th, your opportunity to win $1,000 right now. Your shot at $1,000 now. Text the keyword bank to 200-200. You'll get a text confirming entry plus iHeartRadio info. Standard data and messaging rates apply. That's bank to 200-200. Got to answer that phone. The winners will receive a phone call. might be from a number you don't recognize. But if you don't win like Fred and Anaheim did, you'll have a chance to win next hour. In fact, a chance to win every hour from 5 in the morning through 7 o'clock at night right here on KFI. This is, by the way, this is not going to be an argument in favor of strip clubs, right? This is not what this is going to turn into. It might. Because people are asking why I've never been to a strip club in my life. And and suggesting certain ones. I think we're taking the show on the road. Is that what you're hearing? I've never been to one either. And I will stand not going in with you as well. Why would you go in? Why would you go in? We could do it from outside. I want to know why you are so excited about going into a strip club. I'm not. I'm excited about seeing you in a strip club because I like it when you're uncomfortable. And your face would be like this the whole time. I would I would ask them about their fathers is what I would do. Yeah, I see. That's why we can't do it, guys. This that is why we brilliant. cannot take Gary to a strip club. Tell me more about your dad. Yeah. No. All right. Well, in- is he here? Is he here? I don't see him. <laughs> He's never been here. Never. <laughs> in 2016, Thanks, Clarabelle. the L.A. Times did an investigation and. It showed that Purdue Pharma, the maker of OxyContin, knew that a doctor in MacArthur Park was prescribing more than 73,000 OxyContin pills in four months. That's a street value of nearly $6 million. Hold on a second. Tell me the number again. A MacArthur Park doctor was pushing... Six million dollars worth of OxyContin pills in a four-month period. So, how many pills is that? Seventy-three thousand. Seventy-three thousand in four months. The manufacturers and the distributor suspected that the doctor was running a corrupt pharmacy, but did not cut off her supply. Why? Because Purdue Pharma was making cash off of the doctor, and in turn, making cash off of all the patients that were getting hooked on these, were already hooked on these, dying of these pills, which means that this drug company had blood on its hands. Well, now the city of L.A. Hold on. I did the math on that. That's that's 600 pills a day that that woman was prescribing. Well, some people that have these addictions take 100 pills a day. That's insanity. Now, um, because they build up tolerance and then they need more and it, it just gets to be... And the doctor just goes, okay. Well, yeah, because the doctor's making money. I mean, these people pay whatever whatever the price is. Uh, The city of L.A. now has sued. There's a 165-page lawsuit that's been filed in federal court. The city is suing six of the largest manufacturers and three top distributors of prescription painkillers. Purdue Pharma, the one you mentioned, is in there, as is Janssen Pharmaceuticals, Endo Pharmaceuticals, Cephalon, 
Insys Therapeutics, and Malincroat. Mike Fewer, city attorney, says, I will not let Los Angeles become the next West Virginia or Ohio when it comes to the opioid crisis. The complaint alleges that these companies operated like the tobacco industry operated, using false and deceptive marketing and business practices to boost opioid sales, to make it normal for doctors to hand out these things like candy. These drug firms, the city attorney alleges, were trying to shift the way in which doctors and patients think about pain, specifically to encourage the use of opioids to treat common chronic pain conditions that do not need to be treated with opioids. So you've got the suppliers on the hook, but in this suit, you mentioned the also the, the distributors, in this case, McKesson, Cardinal Health, and Amerisource Bergen, saying that the middlemen were failing to report the suspiciously large and frequent orders of prescription pain pills as they're already required to do by state and federal law. So the... The distributors in this case, the pharmaceutical distributors are saying, listen, we don't, hey, we're just the middlemen. We're not the ones, we can't be the gatekeeper here. Uh, John Parker is a senior vice president of communications for the Alliance. He says, the idea that distributors are responsible for the number of opioid prescriptions written defies common sense and lacks understanding of how the pharmaceutical supply chain actually works and is regulated, which I agree with. They can't necessarily be the ones who are on the hook for this. But they are definitely part of the problem. They looked the other way. The drug companies, despite all those ads where they they make you try and think that they care about you, they don't care about you. They don't care about making you well. They care about making money. And how can they push more drugs, make you think you need more drugs, because that's how they make money. And it has gotten out of control. And, And a lot of it is the idea of having no discomfort in your life. One little, one little, one little feeling of discomfort, and oh, there's a drug for that. Make that money. Yeah, it's just. It, I, I wonder. I know that there are doctors out there who have been on top of this, who who are fighting what appears to be an uphill battle to change the way that we think about pain, pain management. Um, but I just, it just seems like this is one of those things that you're gonna have to take ridiculously large bites out of pharmaceutical companies to make them pay attention to well and that may be happening in the courts i mean la is not alone there are hundreds of cities across the country that are trying to make the drug companies pay for their for their roles in fueling this in in failing to report suspicious sales like the sales we saw out of macarthur park in those four months six million dollars moved in and out I mean, that, that's like uh, mafia money right there. Uh, whether it's good or bad, this just becomes one of a group of lawsuits. Like you mentioned, there are hundreds of them out there. There was a federal judge in Ohio who consolidated more than 300 lawsuits that have been filed by cities like Los Angeles, counties and states against the makers and the distributors in an effort to reach some sort of a global settlement, which could reach into the tens of billions of dollars if there's some sort of a civil penalty as a result of this because i mean just just the sheer number of pills that have been over prescribed is staggering if in fact one doctor can prescribe seventy three thousand oxycontin pills in four months and that's one one doctor in one area in four months uh all right there is a an interesting way i don't know if you've gotten your voter guide yet or read through it like i did because i'm a giant nerd but there is an interesting way that candidates can grab your attention 
with three little words coming up on the California ballot. We'll what would your that. words be to describe you? Game show Apple? Game show D. That's what it would Love be. Love it. Yep. Gary and Shannon. But only on the game show. Uh, let's keep it that way, <laughs> shall we? <laughs> Spoiler. This is when that guy dies. Which guy? Ben Kenobi. Is that right? Or is this Yoda in the desert? <laughs> ben Kenobi. But do you know his full name? Obi-Wan Kenobi. There you go. There you go. Get you sitting up straighter. Yeah. I'm so proud. Uh-huh. All right. I do love that you... <laughs> Just in the middle of that commercial break, mm-hmm. you said something along the lines of, I love Yoda. <laughs> well, I was looking at a little uh, gif of Yoda dancing. You want to see it? I love it. No, I don't. Yeah, you do. No, I've seen plenty. What'll make you love Yoda is the scene where that he. Uh... Look at how cute that is. <laughs> <laughs> What'll make you love Yoda is the scene where he runs and he climbs up the back of Chewie, just like, bow, 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 yeah. and just like sits up on his shoulder. Yeah. Really, anything he does, it's pretty amazing. It's great. All right. Um, we, this uh, is one of my favorite things. Which vote? Vote? Well, yeah. Votes? I mean, it's kind of, uh, it's like, you know, the housewives, uh, how oh they all have a tagline that they start with. I think Luann's this season is. The most interesting people make the best headlines. I see what you're saying. And yes. she made headlines, of course, for uh, uh, drunk in public, I, I think, which I don't know if that makes you interesting. I don't know if interesting is <laughs> the adjective I'd go with. But anyway. <laughs> but it's something. Yeah, it's, it's something. like your little catchphrase. Like what, what describes you? You know, what gives you what, what's your flavor? And candidates are no different from housewives when it comes to describing themselves quickly. Each election day, you're going to see their name, and then they get three words, maximum three words. Businessman, usually you'll see incumbent. Uh, But people have been getting very creative, especially here in California. How can you whore yourself to Californians in three words? Well, one one of those uh, whoring examples you'll see on the ballot is clean energy businessman. Who's a clean energy businessman? Sam Jamel oh. is his name. Uh, he's running to replace Ed Royce. The front runner is Gil Cisneros. His uh, housewife tagline is education slash veterans advocate. Because that's <laughs> popular. Every, everyone loves the children and everyone loves the veterans. So why not advocate for those two groups, right? <sighs> There, the, what's what's great about these is, I, first of all, I don't know where they came up with the three-word limit. Um, there are rules about which three words you can use. In terms, There are rules about what you can describe with those three words. For example, um, you can list your current job or one that you held within the last year. So, for example, the Sam Jamal guy that you were talking about had practiced voting rights law before, but it would not... Since the late 2000s, most recently, he's been working with a uh, an energy company. Right. So he had civil rights attorney as his housewife tagline, and then he changed it to clean energy businessman because he hasn't been a civil rights attorney. 
for for years. Um, in another Orange County district, the state forced somebody else to change their tagline. Uh, Republican Assemblyman Rocky Chavez had to switch his designation from retired Marine colonel to assembly member after a Marine veteran in the district filed a complaint. Which is interesting because he's always going to be a retired Marine colonel. Yeah, that one I don't really understand. I mean, he retired from the Corps in 2001. I think you'd be able to describe yourself as a veteran. You know the one I think that this hurts the most hmm. of all of our candidates that we're talking about is Antonio Villaraigosa. Because he can't write that he's the mayor of Los Angeles or the former mayor of L.A. Or that he was the former speaker of the state assembly. Because he hasn't held those jobs within the last year. Yes. So what has he done in the last year? He's a public policy advisor. Yeah. The perfect. That's rough. <laughs> That's like three of the least sexy words you could use to describe yourself. A public policy advisor? It sounds like you have a made-up job. Wait a minute here. Villaraigosa does have a made-up job. <laughs> what is he, consulting? Consulting in the, uh, some sort of think tank? Well, here's, here's just to get into the minutia of how that California sucks. overregulates this That stuff. sucks that you can't put former mayor of L.A. Right. That's what I mean. I don't, asinine. The, the, unlike political ads or other forms of ballot influence, ballot designations must refer to either the current's current or recent elected position or some other profession, vocation, or occupation. But it cannot be an avocation. Okay. It's not always easy to say for sure. But state regulators are clear. Parent, priest, and teacher are totally acceptable in that three-word ballot designation. Wife, husband, philosopher, those are not. You cannot put those as something that you've done. And whatever the job was, it can only take three words. So Javier Becerra cannot say appointed attorney general of the state of California. Although they say state of California is considered one word. I don't know why he had to get all wordy and verby in that. Just nuts. What would your three words be? Get it. Mm, works yeah. with. Yeah. <laughs> D. <laughs> okay, fine. Put that on the ballot designation. <laughs> Shannon Farron works with D. All right. You'll get woe, plenty of votes. Woe is her. Yeah. Woe is her. Yeah, but you're reading it wrong. You've got if you haven't seen Gary as a D. Uh, no, no, that's not. You didn't game. say that. You got to check out the game. You I didn't say works words. with a. Uh, get your mind out of the. Get you just your said mind works with. Out of the gutter. Just saying, you got to be careful with your three if word you designation. Seen, you can start Shannon for governor late, and we're still going to win. If, <laughs> <laughs> if you haven't seen Gary on the game show, you haven't seen Mean Gary. Game show Gary. That's how we'll refer to him, because we can't keep saying D. It's crass. I was getting frustrated with stupidity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's why I was getting mean. Speaking of that, uh, Rudy Giuliani is still trying to clarify his comments. <laughs> I love it. He had to put out a statement today yep. to be even clearer. We'll get all into it coming up in Swamp Watch. But coming up next, we will unveil a new segment. That's Animals. Oh, I thought... In trouble. I was trying you to hear music in your yeah. Head or I was trying to get the right tone. I thought she turned her mic off again. <laughs> Animals in trouble.
The Pulse. <laughs> Gary and Shannon will continue just a moment. Stormtroopers and Yoda are in the desert. Right. Right. They have a bonfire. Yes. And they stepped on a BB-8. Right? Yep. Gary and Shannon, Friday, May 4th. Coming up uh, after the top of the hour, we're going to get into our uh, trending stories. They have a Darth Vader pinata. Does that make sense? Yes. If you... um, you're somehow combining Star Wars with cultural appropriation, then yes, exactly <laughs> what they have. Is All right, Darth Vader uh, Blake, did you make any sort of animals attack uh, music or sounds? I don't remember doing that, no. Mm. No? Okay. You're fired. <laughs> Do you just want that alligator hiss again? That, Ooh, that, would, that was a little uh, terrifying. Yeah, that was kind of a snake hiss. How about, Gary, can you do a voice like uh, in, in a world... Uh, where animals are in uh, trouble. Where an anim- when animals yeah, are in kind trouble. Of like big guy voice, big movie guy voice. You've got to do this on the live uh, now that Blake's been fired. Let me think about it for just a second. Start, right. start it and I, then I'll... Because this is all about um, animals that need our help. You know, we are big fans of animals on this program. Uh, that's why we talk about building the bridge all the time over the freeways so the cougars can meet strange and new wonderful cougars and stop having incestual relationships in a world where animals have begun to fight back and humans don't know what's coming that was perfect that was perfect well we'll start in italy italy is struggling to deal with uh rodents Populations of huge rodents, koipu to be exact. Hey, that's like our uh, yeah. That's like our nutria here in California. Right. Okay. Remember, we also talked about koipu last week when we decided that if you were a Disney animal, you'd be a koipu. You're right. That's how. That's why we're talking. They're great, but when you've got so (laughs) they're great. They're great, but when you've got so many of them, it gets to be a situation. Uh, They were introduced to Italy about a century ago from their native South America. They were going to be farmed for their fur. Many uh, escaped or were deliberately released because fur, as we all know, fell out of fashion. And now the species is thriving. So the lawmakers there have gotten together and decided to tell people to eat the koi poo. Yeah, because if you – one way to – Drive down a population is to consume it. Now he, they are singing that this uh, this koi poo tastes like rabbit. Mm. But you've got to you've got to think about how hard the hurdle would be in your mind. I mean, koi poo is like a cross between a beaver and a massive rat. It's not something you want to sink your teeth into. Yeah, but, but that's the struggle that they have right now. They're trying right, to sell eat, koi poo. You eat cute animals. So why wouldn't you eat an animal that wouldn't necessarily look good? What cute animals? Rabbit. I don't eat rabbit. That is not true. It is true. You've never eaten rabbit? I have, but I don't. What about lamb? Nope. You don't eat lamb? No. So good. 
What about ducks? Ducks can no, be. No, I won't eat duck anymore. So we, I love ducks. Baby duckling won the bracket. You eat hamburgers? Yes. Okay, well, what's the difference between a cute little baby calf and a cute little baby duck? I don't eat baby calf. I don't eat veal. Why are you looking at me like that? Have you fed me veal without me knowing? (laughs) (laughs) No, but I'm saying you're drawing an interesting line there. Well, yeah, there is a hierarchy. You'll eat old meat. It's not... Old meat? Well, I mean, an adult cow meat. You're fine with that, but you won't eat calf meat. Right. Veal, they don't treat them too nice, though. Well, I know that, yes, if you're going for that. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Okay, all right, go ahead. In Thailand... They have a similar problem. This is this time it's with pigeons. Too many damn pigeons in Thailand. Do you know the Thai word for pigeon literally means flying koi poo? Really? Nope. No. Do you know that the Thai word for elephant is very close to the Thai word for F U? <laughs> yes. And you found out the hard way. Chong. But what are they doing with these pigeons? They're trying to get people to eat them again. Again. Like again, like they're trying to do in Italy with the koi poo. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. There are about three thousand monkeys. They're they're defecating every. <laughs> the birds are the pigeons. <laughs> monkeys. Oh, well, I'm just saying the guy was talking about the Thailand is known for its monkey population. Okay. But he says, listen, we have a lot of monkeys, but we have. Hundreds of times more birds than we do monkeys. There, there's pigeon poop everywhere. Now what they're doing is they're actually, to, to sort of spread the idea of eating the pigeon, they're holding in towns a pigeon menu cooking competitions. It's like uh, the, the cooking shows you see on TV where they say, here's a swordfish and mushrooms, make us a meal. Uh, in these towns in Thailand, they're saying, here's a pigeon, go nuts, add a citrus to it, maybe... Um, have a deconstructed pigeon dish, maybe a pigeon souffle. Get creative. That I think you're right. I would have a hard time eating. Yeah, I, I would. I would not have a problem eating koi poo, but pigeon I might. And our final uh, animals in in crisis story involves a pet squirrel. Ooh, hey uh, Blake, this is right up your alley because this is a sugar glider. In Charlotte, North Carolina, a woman was arrested after leaving her pet squirrel in a hot car on a hot day. You can't do that. You can't lock her up. You can't do that at all. Animal Care and Control was alerted to the animal being in the car at about 1.15. A roommate became concerned and called police after she saw the woman put the animal in her blue Honda Accord before she left the house. Found the window cracked slightly in a cage covered in a blanket in the back seat, but the temperature inside the car was 114 degrees, and the little baby sugar glider didn't have any food or water. That's terrible. So they said I'd like 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 this. Well, it's they they took the squirrel out of the car. This is the new. She Jerry. shows up about five minutes later, um, and she was arrested and charged. They took custody of the animal, and they said maybe you could pick it up at a later date. Maybe. Do you know what the uh, Czech word for squirrel is? I do, as a matter of fact. Mm-hmm. Producer Nick. No, no, it's Viverka. Oh, Viverka. Sorry, I thought I missed. So, that. if you're in Prague and mm-hmm. you see a squirrel, you say Viverka, and then you seem like a local. I don't think we're going to do that Man, segment again. Just, yeah, you know, sometimes horrible. they work out, sometimes they don't, and now Blake's crying over there. 
No more of that. Yeah, we're done with that. Trending stories when we come back to Gary and Shannon. Gary and Shannon. That looks like about 1,500 people now. And that Leilani subdivision on the Big Island have been ordered to evacuate while the Kilauea volcano continues to erupt. Don't know how long this is going to last. Scientists just don't know. Uh, Lava's burning through forest land, bubbling up on two streets in Leilani Estates. We're going to talk to Alex Stone coming up in about an hour about the latest and what they plan to do and how long people could be out of their homes for. All right. Uh, what else is going on? Time for What's Happening. This was a uh, strange story that happened yesterday. A man finally taken into custody today in the murder of Susan Leeds, a woman from uh, Rancho Palos Verdes uh, in the Rolling Hills Estates. Terrifying. This doesn't happen in uh, Rolling Hills. Found stabbed to death in her parked SUV. This, by the way... All the looks of a random killing. And if you saw the guy, we saw him arrested today. He was wearing an Atlanta Falcons hat. Oh, looked, that was that guy? Yeah. Oh, looked boy. like he was disturbed in some way because yeah. he's just rambling loudly as the police were there to pick him up. Um, they said that uh, they did release an image of a man they said was a person of interest. Unshaven, uh, white guy wearing that red and black baseball cap turned out to be a Falcons cap, black jacket. He was holding a cup of coffee. The security camera was in a salon that caught him. That salon was near where this woman was found uh, was found stabbed to death in her SUV. PV hasn't had a murder since 2009. Stabbed several times in the torso. And, yeah, even more terrifying that it's random. And you're going to hear more about that. I mean, I don't know if he's a, a homeless guy or what, but that just coming on the heels of what happened in Ventura. Uh, the follow-up on the Southwest story, remember the Southwest Airlines plane uh, had an engine blow apart at 30,000-plus feet over Pennsylvania. We're getting a little bit more uh, information about what was going on in the cockpit at the time. Tammy Jo Schultz, we know the pilot in this case, first asked air traffic controllers for permission to land at the nearest airport, but then actually aimed for Philadelphia, where they would have, I would assume, uh, a whole lot more emergency capabilities yeah longer runway and i don't know what they're saying specifically about which we're sorry (laughs) it hits every boy differently (laughs) uh they didn't say which airport would have been closest to them exactly where they were when she made that request no but i remember on that day it happened i remember even asking alex about it was uh so that looks like a hard left. I mean, it, it, it wasn't it, the Philadelphia was didn't seem to be the closest one. But, you know, that's what they do in 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 times of emergency landing. They want as much runway as possible. Well, and it makes sense because the you know, your initial reaction the, her training told her, I mean, she took over from the co-pilot for one thing, but her initial training is to immediately rectify the problem, get down below 10,000 feet. They've lost cabin pressure. But once she realizes that she has control of the plane, it doesn't appear like they're in, um, that they're under a threat that the wing is going to fall apart or anything. 
then she makes the decision that she's going to go for the longer runway, et cetera. So, I mean, it's not like it took seconds. This may have been many, many seconds that she decided to change uh, change for permission to go to the Philadelphia airport instead. Investigators looked at Southwest maintenance records, which indicated uh, the part of the fan blade that triggered the accident had made more than 32,000 flights and more than 10,000 since being overhauled in November 2012. At that time, they were inspected by sight and with fluorescent dye used to find surface defects and were fine as of 2012. And imagine uh, Southwest has 700 of these planes. They have 700 of these 737s in their fleet, 700 plus. They have inspected 25,000 blades in the fleet that are in these engines. One of them showed signs of cracking, just one. So that goes to show you how much of a freak accident this was for Southwest. For for any airliner, but I mean Southwest specifically. Um, I got to mention this because it's it's happening right now. The president is speaking to the NRA, um, and he... Pray he thanked Kanye West in front of this huge audience in Dallas, telling them that Kanye must have some power because he doubled his support from African Americans, according to a new poll. He's talking about a Reuters poll. It says twenty two percent of black males approve of the job he's doing at president. The last approval rating from black males was at eleven percent. And he's attributing that to Kanye. To Kanye. Okay. How about that Amish guy? Oh, do you remember Mr. Mullet? 72-year-old Sam Mullet Sr.? This was the leader of this breakaway Amish group in Ohio that was going around cutting people's beards and hair. That's not that's not cool. That is, in the Amish community, that was... Criminal. Well, beyond the fact that it's assault or battery, one of the two. Battery? Battery. It could be battery. Yeah. Uh, he was appealing a sentence. A, a district judge said that the errors in some of the um, the lawyer's mistakes were not prejudicial. Mullet did get a fair trial, so they're saying that his 11-year sentence is going to stand. Of the 16 community members who were convicted in that beard and haircutting case in the Amish community, he is the only one. Mullet is the only one that's still in prison. Well, unlike the fake holiday that is valentine's day everyone loves star wars day (laughs) i think that's a good idea i think i think that star wars day is uh and has been something that we all look forward to what'd you get your wife for star wars day yeah um i don't like to mention those things oh right yeah no i get it we that's for private time we take a particularly romantic turn when it comes to to star Star wars Wars it's really our most romantic day Uh i bet there are couples that that's a real thing that's terrifying it's true it is absolutely true i bet i bet more couples celebrate star wars day in that way than couples celebrate valentine's day in that way i would suggest if you want to surprise somebody with a star wars day event um put some blue dye in their milk today Okay. That's all I'm going to say. Hey, it's free movie. You wouldn't get it. It's free movie if your Friday. Put blue milk. Never. I'll show you a picture later. It's going to disgust you. Free movie Friday. Oh, I love it. With Adam Tickets is back. They are giving you a chance at free movie tickets. Text them now.
Here's what you do. Text reporter to Adam1 for your chance to win. That's reporter to A-T-O-M-1. It's the Adam Tickets app where you can browse movie titles, buy tickets, invite friends, pre-order concessions, all from your phone. Skip those lines. Standard data and text message rates may apply. Your chance to win $1,000 coming up next on Gary Oh, my and gosh. Free tickets, free money. Think of a Kansas accent here uh, for this story. Well, before we get to that, yeah. let's give away some cash. Oh, I love it. Your shot at $1,000 now. Text the keyword WIN to 200-200. You'll get a text confirming entry plus iHeartRadio info. Standard data and messaging rates apply. That's WIN to 200-200. Remember, you've got to answer the phone because they're going to call you from a number you don't recognize. If you don't pick up, they will move on. $1,000 flies right outside your wallet to somebody else's wallet. Uh, your next chance to win is next hour. Uh, I wanted to give a shout-out to David and Beverly. Today is the day Aww, when see, this couple first I, started dating. I told you some people think that Star Wars Day is romantic. Right, and I did not. Uh, I did not refute that. Coming up in Swamp Watch, it looks like uh, Giuliani's media blitz may be giving investigators new information against the president. New leads, new evidence. Yapping too much over there, Giuliani is. Listen to that. I'm like Yoda. Mm -hmm. Why do we love cars? Well, because you love power. No, I mean something different. Why do we love cars? There are some... They provide freedom. Nope. They... You're thinking of something else. Okay. What do you mean love? I'm talking about the physical act. Like, why do, why do men physically try to make sweet, sweet love to cars? They don't do that. <laughs> exactly. Some... They don't do that. Some men do. Are you trying to tell me something? Uh, like what's no, no, going no, no, on? no, 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 no. I'm, I'm fine. I'm not having a romantic moment with my car on this. Because your fourth. car is beautiful. Okay, that's great. That's. Thank you. I appreciate that. Newton, Kansas. A 24-year-old man was lying underneath a vehicle, and attempting to, attempt, attempting to put his penis in the tailpipe. <laughs> I have a question. Wait, this is my question, I thought. But go on. What's your question? What would that feel like? I don't like, what does the tailpipe do? Does when was the, when was the last time the car was running? Like, exhaust just comes out of the tailpipe, right? It's hot. Right. Yeah, that's severe burns to the point of possible disfigurement and maybe likely amputation at that point. Oh, man. That's really desperate. The guy was incredibly drunk, according That's... to the Newton Police Department. Mm -hmm. 24 years old, had to be taken to the emergency room, not because of burns, not because of the stun gun that they shot him with, but because of his blood alcohol level. They said he had a .35 blood alcohol level. This wasn't in Ventura, was it? Newton, Kansas. The man had a possible head injury and was completely oblivious to everyone standing around him telling him to stop. 
Well, you know, uh, cars, uh, cars are made to resemble a, a woman, you know, with the curvaceous features and things. Okay, but they're made usually of some sort of sheet metal. Right? Evolutionary psychologists say say that we prefer curves not only on women and in nature, but also in fashion and design. And the curvier the car, the more likely it's going to sell. Because so, you're, you're like subconsciously picking out a car because it reminds you of a woman. So maybe this guy's just more evolved. They looked at, you mentioned this, this study looked at the curviness of car models from 1950 to 1999. They found that curvier cars were popular during certain areas, while angular autos were preferred uh, preferred in intervening years. And the push and the pull between the rounded shapes, uh-huh. which are overrepresented in na nature, and angles, which are both more novel and potentially threatening. You got the round cars of the 1950s. Think of uh, a good 1950 Chevy sedan or something like that. So do we know what kind of car this guy was uh, making love to? Uh, so... Was I, it a curvy car? I don't know. I feel Be like this lends itself to a gas go-around. What kind of a car was it? You start that, and I'll see if I can narrow down with some information here. All right, so, Blake, quick gas go-around here. I'm going to modify my question. It was going to be much worse, but instead it'll just be this. What car do you think this man was making love to? His own brand of love, of course. Uh, I'm just going to... Do you think he's a curvy no, car guy psychological or an route, I'm guessing it was probably like his mom's old car, and he has some mommy issues he was trying to work out. Wow. You, you just made it weird. I'm pretty sure it started there. Nick... Uh, I'm going to go with a PT Cruiser. A PT Cruiser. That's a very curvy car. Yeah. Hmm. Julie. I want to say just some old Chevy. An old Chevy. Also a possibility. Like, not like a, a Nova or anything. No. Well, I unfortunately, do you want to make a guess? Julie's like, I, I don't want to be involved in this. That's what, <laughs> that's what my answer is. I actually have some inside information oh. about what kind of a car he was after. So I'll let you you guess. Okay. And uh, and so far, nobody's right. I would say a Kia Optima. No, that is not the case. In fact, this took place right near the Kranz family Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram dealership. Oh, those oh. Chryslers are curvy. Some, yeah, some junk in that right? trunk. Some people like the undercarriage of a Jeep, though. Uh, uh, that's true. Jeeps are nice. That is true. But, but might be a little high. I mean, if he's lying underneath that thing and he's trying to... Good ones are worth the work, man. Trying to make a baby with the... I would say a Dodge Charger. Uh, no, you, you don't make a, a baby with a Dodge Charger. You make a baby with a Chrysler 300. What if he was into the, the, the Chrysler Pacifica, the, the minivan? That's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> that says a lot. I think, I think we found Nick's type. That's great. By the Good way, fan. if you donate now, you can help the American Red Cross Initiative to get prepared California. Good timing. Speaking of, uh, Monday, October 1st, write that down because when you get tickets, you want to come to the Mix and Mingle with the KFI crew for an exclusive evening at OUE Skyspace, way above Los Angeles in the U.S. Bank Tower. You get to meet the team. 
uh, a bunch of the people who are on the air, a bunch of the people who are off the air, a live Q&A session with everyone. There's nothing off the table. Photo opportunities, unlimited sky slide rides after the mixer, of course. You have to be 21 or older to attend, but we would love to see you there. 100% of these proceeds will benefit the American Red Cross Get Prepared California campaign. It's limited, limited space, limited tickets, so you got to get them before they're gone. You can get them uh, and find more details at KFIAM640.com. Search the keyword mixer. Last month, Rudy Giuliani says, can you imagine if that Stormy Daniels information came out before the last debate with Hillary Clinton? Oh, my goodness. That would be terrible. Insinuating that it was because of the campaign that Stormy Daniels paid off. Now, Giuliani took to the airwaves this way this week, singing a different tune. But did he do further damage? A lot of people think he did. We'll hear his latest statement on the issue coming up in just a second. Swamp watch. Gary and Shannon will continue. Drain the swamp. We're going to drain the swamp of Washington. We're going to have fun doing it. We're all doing it together. Gary and Shannon, on this Friday, it is May 4th, we have a bunch getting in, uh, to go into when it comes to Swamp Watch. Some of the president's comments from his speech to the NRA today down in Texas will bring to those bring you those in a few minutes. But wanted to start with some comments that are sort of a follow-up to Rudy Giuliani's appearance on Fox News' uh, Hannity show on Wednesday night when he was talking about the $130,000 payment that attorney Michael Cohen had made to Stormy Daniels and then whether or not that money was repaid and what exactly the president knew about that repayment and when, et cetera, Giuliani was supposed to be clarifying things, but it ended up opening up uh, a lot more boxes of questions and this morning just before he left the white house grounds to head to texas the president was making comments you'll hear the of course marine one in the background when rudy made the statements rudy's great but rudy had just started and he wasn't totally familiar with every you know with everything well here to help try to hammer some of this out is uh, arlette signs who's been following this story so we know that rudy giuliani put out another statement today did it help clarify any of this Giuliani's statement says that it was intended to clarify his views, but still everything seems pretty fuzzy. Now, the first point that Rudy Giuliani wanted to make was that there is no campaign violation, uh, that this was all to resolve a personal uh, matter. That's something that he talked about on the cable shows the past few days. But then he also had once made this comment saying, oh, imagine if this would have come out during the October of 2016, which suggested it did uh, relate to the campaign. So that's one thing he wanted to clear up. The next uh, thing he wanted to clear up was about the timing. And and I'm going to read to you what he said. He said, my references to timing were not describing my understanding of the president's knowledge, but instead my understanding of these matters. That clears absolutely nothing up. We still don't exactly know when President Trump knew about these payments. He he told reporters on Air Force One uh, last month that he did not know of the payment and didn't know where that money uh, came from. Today he's saying, oh, no, I, I, I explained myself there. But so there's still a lot of questions 
questions about when exactly the president knew that these payments that were being made to Michael Cohen uh, were actually for that reimbursement for the Stormy Daniels money. The timing of the payment strongly suggests that it was probably related to the campaign and the election. And you brought up Giuliani's assertion last month that uh, imagine if it came out in October 2016 in the middle of the debate. And, And that comment really is important. And people are still going back to it, despite what he said today or or even yesterday or the day before, because it suggests that Cohen made the payment with the intention of protecting the Trump campaign. And that would constitute a campaign contribution or loan. But what would they need to prove that that was the case? I mean, aren't these really difficult to prove when it comes to campaign contribution violations? They are. And so federal investigators will have to be drilling in, trying to figure out what that intent is uh, was when, when Cohen made that payment. And what's so complicating right now is that you have so many conflicting statements. Uh, you have people saying that it was just a personal matter, uh, but then there's things that Giuliani suggests, oh, it could be tied to the campaign. Uh, Michael Cohen and President Trump certainly want to keep pushing that this had nothing to do with the campaign, no reason to impact that. And that's something that investigators are really going to have to drill into uh, in the coming days and weeks and months. It is interesting that the that in one interview, Rudy Giuliani, really his first day speaking for the president in terms of uh, in a law uh, law advisory capacity, ended up with these three different uh, or I shouldn't say three different, but three specific things that were troublesome for the president, whether it was a campaign violation when the president knew what the money was going for. He also talked about the firing of, of James Comey, which was secondary to what we're talking about now. But right. um, but Giuliani is the is the main person, it seems, in terms of now negotiating with the special counsel about whether or not there will be a sit-down meeting. Yeah, Giuliani is instrumental in those negotiations, and he really has a long-time relationship with President Trump. Uh, it's actually been really interesting to watch President Trump this morning uh, in some ways kind of throw Rudy Giuliani under the bus. You know, he was saying, oh, he didn't know what he was talking about. He just started. Uh, he wasn't fully informed uh, on the issues. Uh, but Giuliani will be key in those negotiations uh, going forward with special counsel Robert Mueller's team. And you heard the president uh, talking to reporters uh, before he left for Dallas today saying that he would love to sit down with the special counsel uh, because he feels like there was nothing that was done wrong and that though his advisors and his lawyers are telling him not to sit down for that meeting, uh, President Trump may override them and go ahead and go forward with it. So uh, Giuliani will be key uh, in those negotiations as they're going forward. And that should stress out the administration, that Giuliani (laughs) is key uh, when it comes to that, just because it looks like a complete lack of judgment with his statements and kind of going back and forth over what exactly went down with the payment from Cohen. Arlette, did you did you notice, I don't know if you saw this, but it struck me in the statement that Giuliani put out, he wrote, um, this is intended to clarify the views I expressed over the last few days and then reiterated, these are my views. He did not use the word fact, even though he talked about that. I mean, he used that word pointedly in the interview on Wednesday night. No, that's a very good point. I hadn't noticed that, but uh, he has, is out there uh, trying to clarify something, and uh, I, I'm not quite sure if he actually has given any more cl- provided any more clarity to the situation. Mm-hmm. All right. Arlette, thank you so much. Appreciate your time. Thanks. Arlette yeah, I was thinking the about uh, you know John Edwards. I remember John <laughs> Edwards, who's running for president, yeah. and uh, the, all those illegal campaign contributions. 
for payments to uh, what's her name? What was her name? The the videographer that followed him around and they had a they had a child together and it was like it was blatant campaign contribution violations, blatant. And federal prosecutors failed Re- in that effort. Riel Hunter. Riel Hunter. Riel That's Hunter. right. They failed to convict him in that. And that was as blatant as you can get. This is a difficult trail to track down. And you know what? Does it matter? Does what matter? Do people even care? Well, that's the thing. I mean, this is not – there are some campaign finance violations that are criminal matters that right. could put, could end land somebody in jail. This, this doesn't is, appear to be no, one of those. No. I mean, if anything, if Michael Cohen pays a fine. If anything, the campaign could potentially pay a fine. But, I mean, Giuliani's argument on Monday – I'm sorry, Wednesday night was that this was a personal issue, that the reason that Michael Cohen paid the money in the first place was because this was so hurtful to – Donald Trump and his family that the lawyer wanted and it. not Donald Trump and his campaign. Right. And, and that's I that was the important thing to say. Separate that. the two as well. Um, just a quick line about what he was saying about James Comey. The thing again, this is a view from Rudy Giuliani, his word. It is undisputed that the president's dismissal of James Comey was clearly within his Article two power. Recent revelations uh, revelations about former director Comey. Confirm the wisdom of the president's decision, which was plainly in the best interests of our nation. But again, it's not that he fired him. I don't think anybody has just, has been arguing whether or not he had the power to fire him based on the Constitution. The question is, was it an attempt to stop the Russia investigation or was it because of frustration that this Russia investigation was continuing and he wanted Comey to stop it? So that that, that part of it doesn't clarify much of anything. Uh, his statement also, the president did say that he would be willing to speak with Bob Mueller on the guarantee that he would be treated fairly. But he also said, um, I have to find out that we're going to be treated fairly because everybody sees it right now. And it is a pure witch hunt. We'll come back and talk more about what the president said today down in Texas to the uh, National Rifle Association. Some other D.C. stuff coming. Crazy. Uh, Swamp Watch. Breaking news. You remember the murder of Martha Moxley? This was in the 70s. It was a Kennedy Kennedy cousin. Michael Skakel. Yes, Michael Skakel. And he was finally convicted of it, but the Connecticut Supreme Court now has vacated that conviction and has ordered a new trial. Weird. If you want to go down a true crime legal hole, the murder of Martha Moxley will have you occupied for hours. Isn't there a golf club involved? Yes. Very, very uh, hoity-toity Northeastern. Yeah, Greenwich Village. We'll come back with more Swamp Watch to Gary and Shannon. Sounds not unlike the Godfather theme. This is beautiful. Wonderful. Gary and Shannon, it's Friday, May 4th. We're in the middle of uh, Swamp Watch, where we talk about what's going on in Washington, D.C., 
The president uh, made a trip to Texas actually today to talk to the National Rifle Association, their annual meeting. <laughs> That's funny. Oh, thank you. Tell you about the Facebook row. The president in Texas. Your Second Amendment rights are under siege, but they will never, ever be under siege as long as I'm your president. The president said, thanks to your activism and dedication, you have an administration fighting to protect your Second Amendment. We'll protect your Second Amendment. He went on to talk about everything, basically, as he does in some of these rallies where he's got a, 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 a what would you call it, a receptive crowd. Talked about unemployment being great. Uh, he talked about, and this was funny, I'm not sure this was the right place for it in terms of, uh, in terms of the reception that the crowd was going to give him, but he talked about Kanye. You probably saw, I doubled my African-American poll numbers. We went from 11 to 22 in one week. Thank you, Kanye. Thank you. Oh, boy. <laughs> I, I just, I don't even. <laughs> and he, he thinks that Kanye and the comments that he made uh, somehow ingratiated him to the uh, to the black audience. The, people hated Kanye for that. People were calling for him to be put down. People were diagnosing him with bipolar disorder because of his comments on Twitter. Black people. <laughs> right. Um, one of the things that I said yesterday, which I thought was unfortunate, was the whole discussion about the 130,000 and the Stormy Daniels and the Rudy Giuliani was overshadowing that there is actual real progress being made on a non-nuclear Korean peninsula. And I, I just I mean, it's one of the things that this administration has had a hard time controlling the message. That would be a fantastic message. The president talked about unemployment there. Uh, I mentioned in the NRA meeting in Texas where unemployment is now at 3.9 percent, the lowest it's been since I want to say 1998 or 99. I mean, it's it's we're hitting record lows when it comes to unemployment. They've added 3.2 million jobs to the economy. One of the things that um, happened back in the context of the, the Korean negotiations is that we supposedly have a, a time and date now, I think it is, or yeah. at least a date and a location for the meeting. Um, but we also have a discussion about troops in South Korea. Right now, we, the United States, have about 28,000 soldiers that are stationed on the Korean Peninsula, according to the Pentagon. I mean, and they've been there since the 50s. But... The president in the past has complained that we aren't getting compensated for the protection that we bring to that region, South Korea, Japan, etc. The New York Times was reporting late last night that the Pentagon was asked by the president to look at options for reducing the number of troops on the Korean Peninsula. Uh, John Bolton came out quickly, and both he and his mustache have said that that report is utter nonsense. The department, uh, according to the Pentagon, the spokeswoman Dana White says, this department has not gotten any word on that. Our posture remains the same. So, I love the drama over the House chaplain. It's not over yet. 
the house chaplain that Paul Ryan allegedly fired. Yeah. And then there's all this, there was all of this drama around it. How did you fire the chaplain? And it went all the way back to the chaplain's comments when tax reform package was going to be passed. And he said something to the effect of, uh, don't forget about the poor people that you're screwing with this tax reform package. I mean, I'm paraphrasing, but that's basically what the prayer said. Right. Uh, And so it it was from there on that Paul Ryan was going to get rid of this guy, get rid of this guy. Well, he does, tries to get rid of the guy. And then... Now this this Catholic uh, some sort of Catholic group leader or something is calling out Ryan's chief of staff for having an anti-Catholic bias. <laughs> so now Paul Ryan is like forced to keep this Reverend Patrick Conroy on as house chaplain to show that there is no anti-Catholic bias. Now people are calling for Paul Ryan's chief of staff to be fired over this. Good so he's times. not going anywhere. No. So he's going to stay. Uh, the the last thing to throw into Swamp Watch, a guy from Ohio flew to Florida's Palm Beach County in order to smoke a joint with President Trump at Mar-a-Lago. 27-year-old Tyler Marone arrived at Palm Beach International Airport. He said he found a credit card that he thought was a gift from God. So I bought myself a plane ticket to Florida to go see the president. That's nice. Yeah, to smoke a joint with him, of course. There are worse things. Yeah, He did have meth with him. Oh, yeah. So that's going to get you. In that's trouble. the worst thing. All right. When we come back, uh, the latest on the Mount Kilauea eruptions in Hawaii. Alex Stone is going to join us. We got Mo on the movies coming up and an interview with a former sheriff of Sacramento County. He's now a talk show host about the Golden State Killer and his reaction to the arrest from last week. That's next on Gary and Shannon. KFI AM 640, a woman who had to leave her home after Hawaii's Kilauea volcano erupted says she started getting nervous when she noticed cracks forming in her neighborhood streets. New cracks. Uh Uh-oh. Her house sits just six blocks now from a bubbling stream of lava. I saw a camera shot looking down a street past some of the uh, firefighters and emergency responders there in Hawaii. And there's it's just sputtering, spitting hot red lava as it's coming down the street at people. Alex Stone is uh, joining us now to talk about what's going on with Kilauea. What's going on, Alex? Anybody? Oh, sorry, Alex, that was hours. that was Blake's fault, uh, and he's raising his hand, and he's apologizing profusely. So you get to start over. Take oh, two. Oh, and I was so good, too. I know. I know. It was poetry. I know. It's usually right, the first no, four words out of Alex's mouth are always $400 <laughs> bills. Exactly. It's not a game show appearance, but, you know, it. Uh, <laughs> Easy, <laughs> lady. Oh, my gosh. Alex, have you seen the clips? Uh, I saw one of the clips. Doesn't he come uh, we're across? We're talking about ISIS in the clip. It was, uh, he was outstanding. Oh, really? Uh, so keep watching because he comes across like a total D. Oh. Yeah, it's not good. Yeah, I'll have to go back. It's to not that. him at all. Awkward He's usually minutes. a nice person. Yeah. Oh, all right. Anyway. Uh, anyway, to answer your question, <laughs> uh, yeah, the uh, it, they're in their third eruption right now. And this uh, last night when it started, the thought was, well, hopefully just the one eruption. And then about 4, four o'clock uh, Pacific time yesterday afternoon, that was over with. But the mayor of Hawaii County kept saying, no, 
this is going to get worse again. It's going to continue to erupt, and that's exactly uh, what we've seen in the last 24 hours. So the lava, these fissures that are opening up, uh, like rivers of lava, and then shooting 100 feet up into the air. And then, as you mentioned, the bubbling of lava coming up through cracks in the street. Pretty amazing scenes to, to see the lava coming down. Is there ash in the sky? What are the conditions like? Yeah, there's a little bit. There's been this pink plume just because of the gases and everything else, a pink plume different than what we're used to for wildfires in California that has been hanging over the area in the southeastern part of the Big Island south of Hilo. And now the air, the sulfur dioxide, uh, in fact, the, uh, the state just put out Hawaii's, uh, Hawaii County Civil Defense Agency there in the county, has put out a, a warning in the last 15 minutes telling people that is going to be deadly to breathe in now, that uh, before they were saying just for the elderly and for children and those with respiratory illnesses, they're saying now it's at deadly levels if anybody is sticking around. And the, the, the lava flow and those fissures opening up are so bad that they can't get emergency workers in there anymore. And, you know, again, going back to wildfires, you get to that point where they say no one's going to come in and get you. They're to that point right now. But imagine, unlike a wildfire, kind of knowing where the fire is going to go. In this case, they don't know where the street's going to open up and lava's going to come spewing out. That uh, They're saying, no, they're not going to go in. They won't be able to get to you. There have been a, a series of eru- – I mean, it's a volcano, so it's going to happen periodically. Yeah. But a series of eruptions of of lava fountainings and things like that. But this hasn't necessarily been a deadly uh, volcano for people. No, not so far. And the state credits uh, their early warning that they got people out once they started to see that there were signs of it. But yesterday, yesterday after uh, a series of earthquakes, it went back to Monday, uh, there was the 5.0 – yesterday morning and the initial word was don't worry about it it's not probably going to turn into any kind of an eruption that they thought it was just the the crater in the volcano collapsing on itself and then they continued to watch it and then they could see that sulfur coming out through the cracks in the road and then the lava then they started to get people out and the folks who live around Kilauea they know that you don't mess around with this it again not like a wildfire where people say eh I'm going to be fine I can battle this on my own when lava starts bubbling up through the floor of your home you're pretty much screwed at that point and and you can't get out so they're they're going they they've gotten out it's uh, it's emptied and they keep putting out these dire warnings telling people that uh, if you haven't gotten out, that you're not going to be able to breathe soon, that the, the lava is coming down. Two homes have now been destroyed in the Leilani uh, neighborhood, Leilani Estates. There's another neighborhood that is also under evacuation orders right now, and they wait to see where this is going to go. Nobody knows if this is going to go on for another day, another week, if it's going to explode even more. The initial explosion, residents said, sounded like, and it's cliche, but a jet engine. They didn't say a train, uh, but a jet engine. And they they say it was very loud. Will that happen again? The spewing, quite possibly. Are there people there that we uh, people like we see when we have uh, you know fire mudslide uh, alerts that just want to stay put and think they can? Yeah, but but from the other side of the lava, because if they're inside the lava zone, there there's no help coming, and you, it's not like you can just drive your car over the the spewing lava through there. Right. So it, it seems like the, the folks are smart enough at least to to get out of that zone. But the freaky thing is, you don't know where the lava is going to start bubbling up below you. That if you don't get out of you know the the general area 
area back to where they're setting up shelters and whatnot, that you stand there and there's a fissure 100 feet in front of you, but then all of a sudden the, the ground below you can start to smoke and smell like sulfur, and then lava starts bubbling up through the, the concrete. I mean, it really is like something. It's a volcano. We all know what happens with lava, but it is like something out of a, a movie where you just see this stuff bubbling out from underneath the the concrete, and, and they don't know where it's going to go. There's no predicting. The, the mayor saying a short time ago that anybody who tells you that they know where the lava is going to go, the way he put it, they've been drinking too much. That uh, he says that nobody knows what homes are going to be destroyed out of all of this. There are some homes that have been surrounded by lava but haven't uh, actually burned yet. Uh, the two that have been destroyed, and they expect that likely more are going to go up. All right, Alex, thank you so much. Thank you, guys. Have a good weekend. Alex Stone there, the latest on what's going on in uh, in Hawaii with the explosion of the Kilauea volcano. The um, It reminded me of, you said, you know, people kind of sticking around thinking they can outlast this whole thing. You remember the name of the guy, the lodge owner that stayed in the shadow of Mount St. Helens despite the fact everyone told him to get yes. out? Also the name of a president. And everybody's yelling it out. And at all once, the congregation said, Harry Truman. He was buried under hundreds of feet of ash and debris as a result of uh, not getting out in time. One of 57 people killed in the Mount St. Helens eruption. Coming up next, your chance at $1,000. And how about some free movie tickets and Mo Kelly? How about that for a trifecta? It's amazing. It is amazing. Gary and Shannon will continue right after this. Shannon. How about before we get to Mo, we give away $1,000. Here's how you can win it. Your shot at $1,000 now. Text the keyword money to 200-200. You'll get a text confirming entry plus iHeartRadio info. Standard data and messaging rates apply. That's money to 200-200. Oh, this is the Stormtroopers. Gotta make sure you answer the phone when they call. Otherwise, they'll move on to somebody else who will answer and give them $1,000 like Muriel and Upland. You have a chance to win $1,000 an hour all the way through the first hour of the Conway show tonight. Is that accurate? There are stormtroopers. Okay. I don't know specifically which piece this is, but this is the the Imperial Imperial Attack. Attack. Do you know what TIE stands for in TIE Fighter? Do you know, Mo? I was told, honestly, don't remember. Twin. It's like tactical something. Twin ion engine. That's I had it. the first word right. That's because you were there yesterday when we filmed the video and we learned it. Oh. It's time for Mo on the Movie. Welcome to Mo on the Movies. Oh, Red. Don't be ridiculous, darling. It's Mo on the Movies. Kiss me. Not a chance. Well, Mo Kelly gets to join us. You're Mo, Saturdays and Sundays right here on KFI. Mo is here to talk about the two offerings this week, Overboard and Tully, both of which he is very excited about. Or not. Seen both? No, you haven't seen either one of them? Actually, I am excited to see Tully because I'm a Charlize Theron fan. Excellent. Have you seen the trailer on that? Yes, seems hilarious. Unintentionally (laughs) hilarious. I'm being serious. What do you mean? Why is it hilarious? A mother of three hires a night nanny to she's help with funny. her newborn. She's pretty no, cutting. there's sight yeah. gags in there. 
There are a lot of sight gags. I'm being serious. Oh, well, here's a little clip from it. Honestly, even getting dressed just feels exhausting. I open my closet and I just think, didn't I just do this? Yeah, but that's the downside of living on a planet with a short solar day. Although Jupiter is even shorter. You're like a book of fun facts for unpopular fourth graders. <laughs> Charlene Sarah, Mackenzie Davis, Mark Duplass, Ron Livingston. The is. writing is is well done, but the it makes the whole mother adventure look just horrible. Well, yeah, but think of how many movies oversimplify it and overbeautify right. it. That's right. true. That's true. No, they show the dark side of, of motherhood as far as... Uh, pumping of breast milk and and what happens if you should lose a batch and all oh, that kind of stuff. Oh, the whole bit. And then yeah. when she takes off her top at right. the table <laughs> and the kids are like, Mom, what's wrong with your body? And she just wants to strangle the little asses. That's what I mean, the, the sight gags of it all. Yeah. And she's good. Charlize Theron has she's done great. has done roles before where she's forced to act. I mean, it's not just – Atomic Blonde was – just looking at her, I mean, granted she was battered and bruised in a lot of that movie, but she was except she's. I, I think actually the number of movies that are just kind of light are very few for Charlize Theron. I mean, I remember her in Monster was one of her first big ones where she portrayed the the female serial killer, uh, Elaine uh, Warn. Uh, what was that woman's name? Warnos. Warnos or something like that. Anyway, she is a very skilled actress. She can transform herself. Yeah. She's not there just for eye candy, even though she can be that if she wanted to be. She can do action movies. She can do dramatic pieces, um, even comedy to a certain degree. So, yeah. I can't believe it was fair. 14 years ago that she won the Academy Award for Monster. Yeah. 14 years ago. Where did life go? I don't know. More. Didn't she grow up uh, poor, like living with her mother in a car or something? I don't know her specific story, but she's a student of her craft. Yeah. She grew up in... in South Africa, on her parents' farm. Her dad was an alcoholic, threatened both her and mom while drunk. Um, mom shot and killed dad. Whoa. Yeah, that's a sad story. Yeah, It's quite a, it's a bumpy beginning, I yeah. mean, if you're into that sort of a thing. Mother's uh, Day right around the corner. Exactly. Now that now we're thinking about it. Um, Overboard is the other one that's coming out. This stars Anna Ferris, Eugenio Derbez, John Hanna, Eva Longore is in this one. And yes, it is a remake of the 1987 with uh, Kurt Russell and Goldie Hawn. You are a horrible person. You know, charmer yourself. Oh, whoa, that stung. And to think I was this, this close to inviting you to join us in the jacuzzi. Oh, there isn't enough penicillin in the world. Okay, this should not have been remade. You want to go see this movie? <laughs> go see the original. Thank that you. is an atrocity, whatever the hell that was Thank that you just played. Yeah. Uh, we can just leave it right there. And, I mean, yeah. It didn't need to be remade. It didn't need to. No. Can Anna Ferris though, do the voiceover no. for no. the animated nope. version of this show? Yes. I think she. Could, I think she could play the character. I just so. don't need her to be Goldie yeah. Hawn. Yeah, so. no, you, nobody can be Goldie. No, Hawn. especially at sure. that point in Goldie Hawn's career slash life, which no, is perfection. Th- that was golden age of Goldie yes. Hawn. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, and Goldie Hawn's daughter. <laughs> Next, they'll remake Wildcats. I mean, I don't. I don't get it. Goldie Hawn's daughter, of course. Uh, I just Kate can't Hudson. wait until they remake Escape from New York. If you ever get around to seeing it, Kurt Russell. Did you do that on purpose? Yeah. Because Kurt Russell was in the yeah. over. And I know he likes Escape from New York. And I know Why I have Why are you trying to trigger it. him? I don't know. 
I'm a snowflake when it comes to Kurt Russell, all right? Um, speaking of remakes, I don't know if you saw this, that they're they're talking about uh, remaking Pet Cemetery. That was a terrifying movie. Uh, John Lithgow would play Judd Crandall, the neighbor to the big city family that moves John into the country. John Lithgow is creepy in himself. Just hearing his name creeps me out. Do you remember who played the the role in the original? I don't remember. Fred Gwynn. Oh, that's Herman Munster. Yeah. Uh, back in 1989 was the original uh, Pet Cemetery. I finally saw it last night. Wait, seriously? Yeah. I thought you saw that a long time ago. Oh, my. No. I know you're a Stephen King fan. I'm I surprised. am. Uh, it wasn't, you know, most of the Stephen King fair that I've seen was in my youth. You know, the Carrie and Pet Cemetery and Christine and the Shine, uh, uh, all that stuff. But... I thought I was going to be scared watching it the way I was scared watching all of those movies as a child, and I wasn't. I mean, the clown didn't scare me. I wasn't scared really at all. I, there was it was some... all very Stand By Me slash Stranger Things, which is great, but it, I didn't find it to be a, a horror movie really. Maybe, and let me interject this. I think maybe if you were a parent, it might have scared you more because all of those kids in that movie were in real danger. and. And as it was explained to me, you view it differently from the opening scene when the little boy loses his arm. We can do spoilers now. Uh-huh. I mean, you, <laughs> the you, book's you, been out for thirty yeah, years. You, you look at the you look at the movie differently, and you think about being able to protect your own children. Okay, that's interesting. I didn't think about that because I it did affect me. I mean, I remember being we didn't watch it too long ago. I want to say we beat you by about a month or two, but but I remember being feeling that. I think that you know you crystallized it better than I would have been able to, but just the idea that those kids were in actual danger as opposed to something creepy. Right. I guess I don't put them in actual danger when it's a make-believe story. But for them, it wasn't. I mean, a clown biting off a little boy's arm in a sewer. Did you see that kid? That that kid's not real. And all the kids were disappearing. They had a town losing their children. Well, that's the scary thing, you know. Well, and and the point. scary stuff was what was happening in those kids' houses. Leave the clown out of it. But that, but no, but <laughs> that was a part of it. The mother and the father, that was terrible. No, that's, that's the whole point, yeah. where the clown was not the only monster in the movie. Right. Ooh, my mind just And now. all about like the it being the fear that makes you susceptible to a monster. Like being afraid of that father figure or that, that crazy mother. I don't know. It was There was a lot of... Uh, Parallels. Yes, absolutely. Uh, the good news about Avengers Infinity War is that it crossed the billion-dollar worldwide box office faster than any film in history. How would you like to be Marvel where you get two movies back-to-back inside of 2.5 months mm-hmm. that cross a billion dollars? That's not nice. a bad investment. I, I wouldn't throw that out of bed. Their stock uh, is doing well. Not Must to be. mention, Deadpool comes out, was it a couple of weeks? Hello. Deadpool 2. Yeah. Uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp come out in July. Venom comes out in October. They got, they got plenty. They're doing just fine. Don't feel bad for any of them. Uh, what's coming up on the Mo Kelly show this weekend? We're going to obviously talk about what's been going on in the news. I mean, it's all over the place. I have to give a shout out to Rudy Giuliani. Talk about making an entrance or reemerging <laughs> in the public life. Damn. He, he tripped Damn. over the welcome Lord. mat coming oh my in. Goodness. Tripped over a lot of stuff. <laughs> and also, we're going to have a seven person a cappella group in studio by the name of Naturally Seven. They are fantastic, and I think I can convince them. To even perform live. Oh, wow. Excellent. That's very, very cool. Thank you, Mo. Uh, Mo Kelly, tomorrow night at 6 and Sunday night at 6 as well. We come back. John McGinnis, uh, the sheriff of Sacramento County, former sheriff of Sacramento County, 
is going to join us to talk about the Golden State Killer. Also, it's free movie Friday. Adam Tickets is back. Your chance to win a free few, a free couple of movie tickets. Text them now. Text the word reporter to Atom1, A-T-O-M-1. Text Atom1 for your chance to win. It's the Adam Tickets app. Browse the movie titles, buy the tickets, invite the friends, pre-order concessions all from your phone. Skip the lines, of course. Standard data and text message rates may apply. Gary and Shannon will return. Speaking of which, you can meet all of those people Monday, October 1st at the American Red Cross Get Prepared California Mixer that we're doing for the KFI crew at OUE Skyspace in Los Angeles. Coming up again Monday, October 1st. All the details at KFIAM640.com. John McGinnis spent over 27 years with the Sacramento Sheriff's Department, the very jurisdiction where we found out that this killer and rapist was living right under the noses of law enforcement that spent so many hours and days and weeks and months and years trying to bring this guy to justice. John McGinnis joins us now. Thank you for joining us. Appreciate it. Good morning. My pleasure. Good to be with you. Both Shannon and I spent all kinds of time in Sacramento. Uh, You were in the Sheriff's Department while we were both there working as reporters at the station that you're working at now at KFBK. And I I wanted to ask you, when when you first came on the job uh, with Sacramento County, was it a case that you were aware of? Oh, very much so. I, I grew up, went to high school in Sacramento, and uh, and it was in Southern California in school, com- coming back and forth during the time that the East Area Rapist first made his mark in, in the greater Sacramento area, the eastern portion of Sacramento County initially. And I'll tell you, it, it was not an overstatement to say it was a reign of terror, that he put a pall of fear to the point of paralysis over the, uh, the region. And then, of course, he spread out, went to the East Bay area, uh, different parts of the state, uh, before he ultimately uh, changed his his M.O. and actually began killing people. He, he It looks as though he's responsible for two murders in Sacramento County, then, of course, uh, maybe as many as 11 others that will be provable, uh, certainly 10 other at this point that appear to be the case. The extent to which he paralyzed this, uh, this region in that time frame, frankly, is part of what uh, called me into law enforcement. I've never seen anything quite like it, where you had people uh, lining up to buy firearms, to, to buy home security systems, deadbolt locks, everything they could possibly come up with. It was the talk of the town. Uh, people were fearful. They were they were so incredibly fearful of this threat because it was appeared to be so ominous. And the uh, the extent to which he, he kind of breached all of the, the traditional barriers of safety. He started out picking on women living alone and then uh, actually graduated into apparently looking for uh, women who lived with men and would then go so far as to place plates, uh, cutlery, uh, dishes on the the backs of men as he forced them to lie down in another room as he raped their spouse and told them, if I hear these plates move, I will kill you. And you are right. It it really is understated how paralyzed that community was. It wasn't three or four rapes. It was, you know, in 1976, it was about 12. And then 77, it was like 18 or 19. It was like every week you were waking up to another report of, of your neighbor that was raped. And one of the more chilling things that I found was when he made that jump from women alone to couples, there was a meeting because they there were often these community meetings in Sacramento at the time. What are we going to do? How do we take care of each other? What do we look out for? And, and talk that maybe he was at one of these meetings because it was it was right then when he switched from women to, to couples that somebody yes. stood up in the meeting and said, he's not going to do it when the husbands are home. Yes, and that particular party would later experience his wrath. What was your reaction when you found out 
that this guy was one of you. I mean, as as Paul yeah. Hole said, he was never truly a cop, but he did work for Auburn PD. What was your reaction he to did. that? He actually started out with Exeter PD down in the Central Valley. There's some other information that's kind of interesting to go with that because there were attacks of a similar nature in the greater in the Central Valley around Exeter. And, you know, along the line, there was speculation to that extent because he seemed to have an incredible knowledge of how law enforcement operated. He seemed to be able to get ahead of the game. He also had uh, very impressive physical capabilities. So the thought was either law enforcement or perhaps military special forces or a combination thereof. So it was always in the back of our minds. Many officers in our department, frankly, voluntarily submitted to a, a not a full DNA swab, but a uh, the science that was available at the time that would eliminate them because of the, the believed blood typing of the suspect. So they wanted to be eliminated from suspicion. When I first heard this, that was the first question I, I asked. And uh, the, the current sheriff uh, had the courtesy of briefing me on it, of course, with, with uh, very, very close confidentiality that it not be released. First question I asked was, tell me it's not a law enforcement officer. He says, unfortunately, it was uh, for a brief period of time. That's uh, probably a part of how he operated. In fact, he was fired from his job with Auburn Police Department because he had been arrested by the Sacramento Sheriff's Department uh, for petty theft in the community of Citrus Heights a case in which he stole a hammer and dog repellent back in 1979. That's what cost him his career. Since then, we know the DNA played a huge role in this arrest, probably the key to this. But uh, we've been reading articles about people worried about the privacy issues surrounding DNA evidence. Do you share those concerns that, that the idea of using DNA and the amount of information about people's DNA that's now available, that there's going to be an issue, a privacy issue? Maybe if I could just give you some perspective from my personal uh, standpoint on that, I, I do have very serious privacy concerns. I, I recognize the, the fundamental right we have to privacy in this country that's so unique. Uh, but in this particular case, as you look at how that uh, information, that, that DNA was accessed, it was with the, uh, the volitional action on the part of the, the person who participated in this program, that, that that their DNA would be subject to public disclosure. So with that in mind, now I actually, the, the, the basis upon which I have concerns about privacy is the extent to which people enjoy a reasonable expectation of that privacy. So when you put your your DNA or any other material into the public domain, to include uh, expressions, communications through electronic communications, uh, then I think that that's fair game. Uh, otherwise, when you keep it private, uh, then you have a right to uh, to that expectation of privacy, and it ought not ever be compromised. And just to kind of put things in context, I attended a CSI school way back when, decades ago, at Stout Cal State Long Beach, and they told us at that time, someday, if you collect a biological fluid, such as a blood drop at a crime scene, if that drop is the size of a dime, we will be able to identify the donor of that. Uh, biological fluid. And of course, that was extraordinarily uh, impressive to even contemplate that that could be a possibility. Now it has advanced so far that it's far less of the product than that that can lead to an identification. John McGinnis is the uh, former county sheriff for Sacramento County and currently a host on uh, one of our sister stations up there in Sacramento. I wanted to ask you how much attention the your your office, the, the Sacramento County Sheriff's Office, paid to this case when it was still an unsolved mystery, a cold case uh, when you were sheriff. And did recent years, whether it be Michelle McNamara's book or the new reward that came out from the FBI a couple of years ago, did that put new pressure on on you and on the department or 
was there always a degree of intense focus on this, on bringing this guy to justice? There was always, I would say, a rather intense degree of uh, desire. In fact, I'll tell you, years after all this started, I worked, I was assigned to homicide for a period of time. And so I went back and pulled all of the old uh, reports and read through them. And then, of course, moving on in my career, uh, I actually took uh, my abridged notes with me and I would refer, continually refer to these old files just to see what are we doing? What could, what could possibly be done on this? We always kept uh, some resources in play on it. In the last eight years, I have personally gotten 21 different names given me by different people, some retired law enforcement, some members of the community who were actually disclosing the identity of their own relatives, who they they said, in retrospect, looking at uh, how this person behaved, where they were, their physical profile and so forth, they believed this person was responsible. Wow. Uh, each of those 21 were vetted and eliminated through DNA. So, uh, and the most recent of which, uh, in my case, was last summer. So, And that was a retired uh, detective, in fact, an academy classmate of mine. Last summer, huh? Uh, we're talking with Sheriff John McGinnis, a former sheriff of Sacramento County. When we come back, I want to ask you a little bit about uh, the family that we know that this guy had and if uh, they're going to be of any value to you. Gary and Shannon will continue. Gary and Shannon, we are talking to former Sacramento County Sheriff John McGinnis about the Golden State Killer. I want to know, as a homicide detective, even though all of this appears to be closed, I mean, in terms of there there have been no new attacks, what sort of investigative value are the wife and kids in this case? Oh, I think they're very, very important uh, in terms of what they can share about him, especially in her case, not so much the kids, uh, about his uh, his behavior and interaction and travel back then. And I am not personally satisfied at this point that he really truly abandoned his nefarious reign of terror because while things may have changed and of course of all the horrific terrible things you can uh, ascribe to uh, Mr. D'Angelo I don't think he uh, suffers from a lack of intellect I think he's a bright guy well one of the things that was nuts was that we made the connection to uh, knowing now about the children that he had with his wife was He seemed to stop murdering in 1981, and that that correlates to the birth of one of his daughters. And then he picks up again in 1986, the same year that his next daughter is born. That's odd. It is, and who knows? Who knows what uh, may influence a guy like this? But I also recognize the fact that he may be savvy enough to avoid engaging in activity that he was very careful to never leave latent prints, for example. As time went on, he very likely stayed on top of developments with regard to DNA and was very careful to not leave DNA. Uh, so the potential that he was still involved in horrific criminal activity is something that, uh, that I have a hard time shaking, frankly. If you think about the average crook, they will use their criminal behavior as a means to an end. In other words, they'll force entry into your home to take your property because they want your stuff. They don't necessarily want to be a criminal, but they lack the discipline or talent or whatever it may be required to to cause them to get their own property, amass their own wealth, if you will. In this case, the crime itself is the end. This is what this guy wanted to do. He wanted to torture and terrorize people, especially women. And the likelihood that he just abandoned that is very, very, very remote. You mean in 1986? Yeah, I just have a hard time believing it didn't go in a different direction. We uh, Uh, thought maybe that was because of all the 
uh, progress they were making with DNA technology, right. starting in Orange County, and that's where he last killed, and that's where right. the the first advances really in California were being made. So we thought maybe he he was smart enough to say, "I got to stop." Because yeah, got scared. Yeah. Very very difficult for me to to accept the notion that he uh, he simply decided to be a better human being. I, I just don't believe that. Or even if he was to lose his uh, physiological urges or stamina or whatever, his his was. Uh, crimes committed out of hatred, loathing, and passion. And I don't think that, in fact, as kind of anecdotal evidence, uh, we have heard many stories about him just being overtly confrontational toward people for no real reason. You know, cursing a blue streak in the neighborhood as people walked by and having some encounters with people in parking lots and so forth, where he just went right uh, to extreme anger over seemingly insignificant events. So it's very, very difficult for me to fathom a situation in which he would abandon uh, such behavior. Well, as a, a California law enforcement guy, does this give you hope that we will eventually solve the Zodiac case? It actually kind of does. If uh, I think the 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 value of DNA uh, and the the access to DNA uh, evidence has has grown exponentially over time, and I think it really could uh, bring that to to a success a, a, a just conclusion. Uh, and there's even speculation now. There's uh, some investigators in the, the uh, Bay Area that that have a belief as to who. They, they sincerely um, are confident is responsible for the Zodiac crimes, who is, de- who is deceased. When you found out that this guy was living in your backyard in Citrus Heights <laughs> and had been there all along, what was your reaction? Who was your call and what was your personal reaction to finding out that this guy was caught? I, the call was from uh, Sheriff Scott Jones, the current uh, sheriff. I was, I was stunned, absolutely stunned. Uh, in fact, in our conversations that we've had over the years between Sheriff Jones and I, I, um, I always told him, uh, I think the guy's dead. And he was pretty confident that he wasn't for reasons he can't even explain. He just felt as though he was alive and he was absolutely certain that justice would come. But then to think that he was he lived throughout this time, this entire time, in a neighborhood that I had occasion to uh, to patrol as a uniformed officer, uh, that is uh, that is shocking. The general area around where he lived is a nice neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And uh, people knew him. They didn't know him under terms that uh, would be considered flattering. But uh, but they knew him and had generally negative opinions of him. But just the notion that he could be right here all this time, and you think over the years, what to what extent did he suffer uh, a fear of being caught? You'd have to believe that was uh, a part of his mental process over the years. But but I'm not so sure. And of course, by this time now, 42 years since his his first uh, attacks. Uh, I have to believe that he thought uh, he was going to get away with it. Yeah. Sheriff John McGinnis, thank you so much for joining us. It was My a real, pleasure. Great real to pleasure. chat with both of you. We'll have to do it again sometime. John and Ken, up next. We'll see you Monday. Stay dry, everybody. Gary and Shannon's side studio show. Attend one of the online trading academies free half day class. Attend one of the online trading academies free half day classes and learn how you can protect your retirement. Retirement? Is there an N in the middle of retirement? Just relax, bro. Hey, did Hey, did you know Hey, did you know Solar Matt? That's Mr. Giggles is dead. This is Blake's fault, isn't it? I'm trying to just figure out where I direct my anger. Bing bong. Hey, it's Shannon from Gary and Shannon. And the br- I know. And Shannon. 
<laughs> Fun body. <laughs> um, I think I'll do all prostate and then all breast. Only center in California using revolutionary pencil beam technology to it. <laughs> Running out of breath. Hey, it's Gary. It seems about. Seems about. Hey, it's Gary. It seems like just about everybody we know. The end. This has been Gary and Shannon's side studio show. Stay tuned for more outtakes and bloopers. Stay outtakes and bloopers. You know what I'm saying. We're going to keep scrolling up. L-A-T-T-I-H-T-B-D. Look at the time. I have to be going. Gary and Shannon.